He-Man, Heroes and Getting Hench. It's Marvel vs. Marvel episode 21. Welcome to the show. It's a, it's a podcast where someone who's never read a Marvel comic book in his life rewatches some of the most famous Marvel movies and then quizzes the other end of the geek spectrum, a fan who has been reading Marvel comics his entire long, decrepit life. Welcome to episode 21. I'm Rob Holden, writer, comedian, and, and the the lifelong Marvel expert side of the equation. And as we step into this fantastic episode, I'm joined as ever by the man who makes it all possible through the power of his ignorance. It's Mr. Will Preston. Hello, long, decrepit ignorance. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, we started this podcast when England went into its first COVID lockdown, mm-hmm. and it feels, I don't know, quite fitting. We closed out 20 episodes with the last one, and as we gear up to do some more fun things, hey, we're back in lockdown. Hooray! Perhaps we're going to be just as creative and inventive and have just as much fun as we did when we started this journey. Um, <laughs> it has kind of inspired us. Yeah. We've got some exciting things to discuss and talk about. One sound thing I think we should perhaps mention is if you hear the sound of rifles and explosions in the background, that's because uh, in this part of the world on this day, we've chosen to record on bonfire night, uh, November the 5th, the time when England celebrates the death of uh, someone trying to kill the crown. And we do this through... Uh, fireworks and bonfires and the um, the celebratorial burning in effigy <laughs> of a man trying to get rid of corruption. Is um, it the Wicker Man? Is it the Wicker Man? It sounds like the Wicker Man, doesn't it, when you think about it? I, I like to think of it as like, I, I explain it to American friends, as it, imagine if it's 4th of July, right, mm. in terms of celebration, but what we're celebrating it is not freedom from tyranny. Imagine if on the 4th of July, the freedom fighters, yeah, had died. <laughs> and then every year, the, the tyrannical people in power just celebrated that. Yeah, we crushed a rebellion. It was cool, wasn't it? That's, that's, that's bonfire night. Um, so, yes, if you hear the, 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 the sounds of popping and banging and stuff, I can't do nothing about it, folks. I'm real sorry. Uh, build a time machine, go back in time, and uh, give Guy Fawkes a better plan. Uh, that's the only way out of this. <laughs> we are in. I think I think I don't know what to call episode twenty one and beyond. I feel like we've 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 really somehow closed out a chapter. And although it wasn't you know uh, uh, the, the the closing of a of a phase of the MCU, twenty feels like a big meaty number. Will oh it big does meaty number to be. To be done with to put to bed. There are more episodes um, of this podcast than there are episodes of Faulty Towers. Oh, mm. oh, that feels sacrilegious! How dare we? How dare we? Um, we we've got something real cool planned right now. We hit upon this. We got very excited about this. Um, so hey, lockdown is back here, and we keep hearing from. I hear it all the time now keep hearing from uh, people who are working different jobs during lockdown 
they're working longer hours because they've had to take different jobs. They're doing night shifts. They're doing labouring work. You know, things have gone slightly different in their lives. And they're getting in touch and saying, this is what gets me through. (laughs) Uh, We get a lot of people who are perhaps a little suspicious of our three-hour-plus episodes. But then we've got plenty (laughs) of people out there whether they're stuck at home because they're furloughed because that's back now, or whether they've uh, mm-hmm. they've they've uh, switched jobs, switched careers, and they're in a very different place, some people are looking for the kind of podcast that can just soak up hours and hours of their time, um, and so I think that that really is that's something special. I think that's something that means quite a lot to me. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, Will, but getting those kind of messages from people, whether it's people I work with or just a message out the blue saying this is this is kind of the situation and uh, this is what's this is what's been keeping me keeping me level because that's what we've got to do during all this. We've got to stay level, right? I know it's a yeah. It's been keeping me level. It's nice States, to know that but... you can talk and people go, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to that. <laughs> yeah. And not just listen to it, binge it, binge it. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's more than that's more than a really uh, great guy. Hmm. Sorry, I was going to say it's like like it's more than just I'll listen to that. He goes, no, I will listen to that constantly while I'm breathing, like constantly shoveling this down. <laughs> I've got a great message from a guy, uh, Alex Daniel Cook, who got in touch. Um, just, you know, not a long message like what we do in the letter section coming up. Not a memories of of a character or a story. But Alex got in touch and just said, I've had to get a crappy job during this crazy period. Um, but it's made all the better by your podcast. I'm doing shifts that are 8 o'clock at night till 7 o'clock in the morning. Ooh. So long podcasts are what i need and genuinely that was like that gives me the 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 real kick of motivation of we are two blokes mucking around (laughs) and having fun and it's brilliant and we really enjoy it but for that to also translate to people is so cool it's so awesome to get people through something uh that's a bit crappy is wonderful um so we wanted something a bit different to kick off this post-20 section. To come mm. out of 20 episodes with a bang. And we're going to give you the definitive take on Venom and the Spider-Man symbiote suit. Yes. I mean definitive. In the first part, <laughs> today, in this episode, we're going to use Spider-Man 3 to explore Spider-Man in the 1980s. The black costume. The complete redesign of the character and of his powers. In our bonus episode, which we're going to be recording and releasing in a week's time after this, we're going to dig deep into the massive event that gave birth to the symbiote, Change Spider-Man Forever. The bonus episode is going to cover the first ever Marvel Universe crossover event. The precursor to the Infinity Gauntlet. The precursor to the MCU crossovers. The Secret Wars. 
That's going to be the bonus episode, that deep, deep dive to give you that deep, deep background. And then in the next main show episode, we're going to use a 2018 Tom Hardy movie (laughs) to focus entirely on Venom. So that is going to be, that's big, that's meaty, that is sexy. So excited. Are you excited about this, Will? I'm I'm excited. I'm excited because I've never seen Venom before as well. So I, 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 any time we do a film I've not seen, I'm like, oh, great, this is good. Plus, I like Tom Hardy. Yeah, great actor. Part of your favorite set of movies of all time. Yeah, my, well, my lot. <laughs> your your favourite. The other side of the aisle. Yep, yep, the DC aisle. Loves a silly voice, doesn't he? That lad loves a silly <laughs> voice. Don't, I think it's in his contract. He only takes movies with a very silly voice in. <laughs> um, so that's that's what we are getting up to in the next uh, few weeks. So you just you're gonna have by the end of this, you're gonna have the definitive take on Venom. But Will, what have you been getting up to in the last few weeks? What's going on with the Twitch, with the sixteen year olds, with the kids, with the kids, and the games, the gate, the, and ga- the buttons, and the shooting. I, I I've been doing all right on Twitch. Uh, I had a sort of a week's stretch because uh, I I. Basically, I, I I didn't do any Twitch for like a week, but I, I came back this week. I did, uh, did did last night's session. It was all right, uh, but I got a couple of new subscribers. People are paying me to to do this, which is good. Very Whee! supportive. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that, that was really fun. And I've been playing Skyrim constantly, but I'm now really considering moving to Fallout Four again, which is basically almost the same game by the same people, <laughs> except. It's all about futuristic radioactive wastelands instead of Lord of the Rings nonsense. Is this like GTA where they just take the same kind of basic schematics of a game and then change the city? It is essentially what uh, how they've done it. Uh, yeah, but they've they've added some extra stuff, and it's just it almost feels like a wallpaper, you know, covering. It's like later seasons of Archer, where they just go, well, now they're in the 1930s. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. next? Well, now they're drug runners. Uh, <laughs> I liked. How do we? Sorry, yeah, I, I, say, I, I, I liked some of those later seasons of Archer because there were a few video game references that I totally spotted. I went, "Yes, I know that." Anyway, yes, I, I, I hate them. I, I think they can. I think the show completely fell off a cliff and became yeah. completely redundant. And I don't. I think the novel. Anyway, the novelty, the joke doesn't work anymore. Anyway, where can we find you on Twitch, mate? You can if you you can find me on Twitch. Just go to www. Sorry, I have to say it, don't I? Uh, Twitch.tv slash Will Do the full address. No, do the, do the, no, do it again with okay. the full address. HTTP colon slash slash. So sorry, it's HTTPS slash slash and the colon slash slash www.twitch.tv slash Will Preston 87. It's Will Preston 87 is the main thing to remember. Yeah, that's the one. Twitch, yeah. Um, now, might need to declare an interest here. Uh, this week's episode is sponsored by... Rob's eBay store, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, we don't we don't have a uh, well we do I do I, I'm going to cl- declare myself a wonderful sponsor of the episode. We don't have a wonderful sponsor and partner for this episode. That being said, I have an eBay store, and I have uh, three graphic novel collections up there that are directly relating to this <laughs> show, to this episode, to the stories we're going to talk about. They're all brand new, never been used or pre-owned before hardcover graphic novel collections about venom and the secret wars so that'll be in the reading list later on but i'm just i'm just declaring an interest in case will wants to give me any crap <laughs> up front 
Um, or if he just feels like I've compromised my integrity and he wants me to leave the show. No, are, we, are we happy? That's fine. I like you financing yourself. <laughs> the, 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 following, uh, the following announcement has been paid for by... Um, if you want to check out, I and mean, we'll do the read list at the end of the show, but if you want to make sure you're getting there before other people, if you head to ebay.co.uk slash usr slash rob halden h-a-l-d-e-n rob halden um, you can find the graphic novel collections that i've got um up for sale there very reasonably priced those ones are um, and they'll fill you in all about venom so will you know what time it is what it's time, time is to it? go <laughs> it's time to go into the mind of a muggle. <laughs> and, and I want to find out... Bearing in mind, this episode is focusing really on black costume Spider-Man. I mean, we are delving... We're going to be saving a lot of Venom for the next main show. Yeah. Had you ever come across this black... And, I mean, another point might be, have you ever seen the black and white Spider-Man costume outside of the movie? I'm trying to think... Uh, which is a very bad way to, for me to do anything. Uh, I I remember the video games for the PlayStation that were around at the time and everything, and I don't think even then they had a black costume. I remember Venom popping up in the games. I remember that. Say, save it. What? Save it for the next one. I don't want to hear about Venom. Okay, okay, okay. Well, yeah, uh, uh, in, in the very restrictive section of In the Mind of a Muggle, I, I will say that I didn't know Spider-Man had a black costume. I'm just pinging over a uh, image of it to you right now hmm. to mm-hmm. see if uh, that looks in any way familiar to you. Uh, does that look no. like anything you've seen before? No, 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 no. That does. That, it just looks like a shadow. Vastly different to what we see in the movie, isn't it? Yeah, fast. Well, obviously the movie's going to have a bit more detail, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 looks sleek. It's. I think it's a lot more iconic as well. Yeah. Um, in terms of its design, uh, it, it has a simplicity to it. So you'd never come across uh, a different Spider-Man looking suit other than the red and the blue. Of course. Um. And I think that is true for a, a, a huge amount of people um, when we go into this one. Uh, and had you, well, you know, we should save that for Venom, I suppose. Um, we should save your awareness of Venom for when we get to the Venom episode. Had you ever come across Sandman before? Had that cropped up in any of the games? Never never come across Sandman. Well, obviously, I, I, I he cropped up in the games after I saw the movie. I, saw, I, I think he propped right. up in a Lego game. Yes, yes. I mean, they they all they all will have done really in <laughs> yeah, the exactly. in the um, in the Lego games because the Lego games are so huge they have to draw in as many characters as possible <laughs> to populate these. Especially because they have not just a story mode, but they have the free the free roam modes and stuff like that, don't they? Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. I I, I don't. Um, I, uh, I think. Sandman, Sandman definitely appears in the nineteen sixties um, cartoon series of of Spider Man, which is one of the very popular ones. But he he was not he was not uh, featured 
in the 90s cartoon series, that kind of role was taken by Hydro Man, who is very similar okay. to Sandman, but with water. Um, so <laughs> that's where we are with that. The mind of the Muggle thoroughly uh, dissected and, and delved into. Um, well, what I'm interested in, though, Will, you're the man with the facts and the figures as we go into this movie. Yep, what can I... you tell us then about what the, what does the money? Or, I mean, what does the movie side of this of this movie look like? What what, what I want to know? I want to know whatever you know. But let's start with the the dollars and the cents. Okay, I'm going to get run through the entire trilogy: the uh, Raimi trilogy, Spider mm-hmm. Raimi. <clears throat> That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay, so Spider Man One came out 2002. Uh, budget was 139 dollars. Box office took in. $825 million. I mean, that is insane. Yeah. That was just the most insane number. I mean, that's four uh, times, I think. That's, that's, that's over four times. Five times, maybe. Um, yeah, it, it, it's... I mean, it's generally less when you when you factor in um, publishing and, and um, PR and things. Oh, yeah, but you know... probably another... You know the rule. It's probably another $100 million knocking around there. Let me have a look. Yeah, no, wait a minute. Oh, no, that's, I think it's six times. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They, they really did well with this one. They did so God, well. They did. Yeah. They did. That's quite a good budget, though, considering. But then we have Spider-Man 2 as well. And the uh, budget on there is a bit more. Quite a bit more. Almost double. Uh, and that it, it was $200 million. And this was 2004. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they had a lot of faith behind it. Box office, though... Slightly less, $789 million, but still enough. That's almost four times. Still enough to warrant a sequel after that, so nothing to worry about. Considering that Spider-Man 2, I think, critically is the best one. Yes, it is, yeah. That's a mon- it's still a monster hit, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, they're all hits. They're all hits. Now, Spider-Man 3, uh, 2007. Now, you've pointed out it's... Uh, was in fact the most at the time the most expensive movie ever made. I do remember that. Yeah, I, I do remember that. I did. I didn't realize this. I, it's outstanding. Obviously, because it's obviously probably been beaten by Avatar. <laughs> I don't think anything's come close since. Uh, yeah. Two. Okay. It, 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 the budget was between two hundred fifty-eight to three hundred fifty million, which is what. When they do that between, I I often wonder now if they're starting. They never used to figure in publishing and um, promotional costs. I'm always wondering now whether they are figuring those those things in. Whether that figure bet- from from five eight to three fifty uh, is no, it can't be. It would have it would have cost at least a hundred million or so to promote this movie. So it yeah. can't be that. It must be that must be the production budget. Yeah, I I reckon that was the production budget. I mean, think about it. I mean, lots lots going on in this film. And you've got to get Willem mm. Dafoe in again. You've got to get everything going in. Uh, and there's a, What did it take then? But what did it take? Uh, it took in $895 million, Highest grossing Spider-Man film of all time until MCU Far From Home. Uh, and it Jeez. had better box office than the uh, two amazing Spider-Man movies. Not surprising. Uh, <laughs> and Spider-Man Homecoming. That is incredible. How, how, how I mean... Uh, so forget about MCU. Forget about those kind of franchises, yeah. right? 2007, you're even kind of putting... You, you can't even really think about the Dark Knight thing being a, being a set of trilogies at the time in 2007, can you? 
I don't think no, because no. I, I it's Batman Begins is two thousand eight, isn't it? So um, two thousand six, so, I think, or two thousand five. I forget. Okay. So forget about that then. The idea of blockbuster franchises. We haven't had the Fast and the Furious make more and more money every single time they 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 knock one out. Yeah. Uh, for for more what <laughs> for more of our Fast and Furious uh, rant. Check out the bonus episode on Ghost Rider. Uh, we do like a whole. I think it's five minutes on the Fast and the Furious. That was quite um, a good. That was quite a good tangent. I have to, I have that, to admit. Back in the day, right? Back in the day when sequels were never better than originals. Yeah, that was always the golden rule. Mm. The third one was always the like the worst yep. of the trilogy, and it always had the la- the least amount of steam, the least amount of, you know. Um, I'm, it has to have been the least profitable because otherwise there would have been a fourth. <laughs> yeah. You know, the vast majority of those trilogies. I mean, perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps Back to the Future 3 took more than the first one. Perhaps Jaws 3 was a huge success. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's insane. That's insane. Um, and you've got, some, you've got something to tell us about the original plans for this movie. Yeah, so the original plans were... So Venom and the Black Suit were not originally supposed to be in this movie. Sam Raimi's original story saw battles with the Sandman and Harry Osborn becoming the new Goblin. The story is meant to show Peter coming to realise that not all criminals are just black and white bad guys. And according to the Sandman actor, uh, Thomas Hayden Church, the original movie was supposed to have introduced Ben Kingsley as the Vulture. And that would have Sir Ben, Sir, Sir Ben Kingsley. All I can think now is the Sopranos the episode. Of the Sopranos is it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we set up a character for uh, Spider-Man Four. Uh, however, Marvel Studios head honcho Avi Arid insisted that Spider-Man Three included Venom as a major villain. Uh, Arid felt that uh, since it was called Spider-Man Three, they should have three three super villains in the story. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Another another one of his ideas was to take uh, Eddie Brock's girlfriend in the script, completely original character, and turn her into Gwen Stacy. Arid insisted this was something the fans were crying out for. The studio that explains yeah. that explains why she has nothing to do in this because she's not Gwen Stacy. We've got two. I mean, she she has nothing to do in this movie, does she? Really, Gwen Stacy is like she, the second most important figure. In Peter's life, and she gets very she gets nothing to do in this film. She she she's practically three different bit parts rolled into one, isn't she? That's that. Yeah, I wonder. Well, yeah. How bizarre! How bizarre! But apparently, this uh, studio interference uh, looks looked to be the main reason why Sam Raimi had such creative differences with the companies and left the franchise. I mean, I read about it. He was saying uh, how. He won. He tried. He tried to work with them to do a fourth one, but every idea for the story was just terrible. Yeah, because it's not like he stormed off and, and and quit after this. He was already not already, but he was signed on and he was working in pre production with Spider Man Four. Hmm. Um, but but I guess it was just um, too much, um, and it is an odd time because we are we're we're. Uh, you know, Mar- um, Sony haven't done that deal with Marvel Studios to uh, to get the character back into the MCU. So, 
Sony have got to... They have deadlines. They have got to make a Spider-Man film every X amount of years, otherwise they lose the licence um, if, if they're not using the property. So... Yeah, I really did. want to see the next spy. I want what I you know I, I don't want to like go off topic and go on too far from home, but man, that's screaming for another film, obviously because of the uh, post credit sequence. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It looks very exciting when you think about the people who've been allegedly cast. Ooh, have you heard this? No. Oh, do, do you want to mention it, or are you going to keep me in suspense? Well, well, allegedly, Jamie Foxx and Andrew Garfield have been cast in the uh, the next Spider-Man movie. Are they thinking of doing like multiverse Spider-Man or something? Because I heard that idea. The, the the fans seem to think so, but but you know we have no information, of course, do we? Mm, the, the, okay. Allegedly, Tobey Maguire has been cast as well. That but, is insane. But who knows? Who knows? <laughs> so this is going to be the definitive the definitive take. On, on the symbiote and on Venom. The whole thing, the, the, the three episodes, we're going to cover this iconic change in, in the costume, Will. And, and it, it, the symbiote and Venom, it all really starts with... I mean, this is the first time I can think of this happening in anything we've ever looked at. It doesn't start with a comic book writer or a comic book artist... This starts with a comic book fan, a young comic book fan, named Randy Schuller from Norwich, Illinois. Ooh. In the 70s and 80s, Marvel Comics would organise open submission competitions where readers, members of the public, could send in uh, ideas for stories or draw designs for new characters, send them into Marvel, and if Marvel liked them, they'd use them. They'd buy them off you. Randy Schuller came up with a story where Spider-Man would gain new powers and a new costume. So it was not a Marvel staff member, writer, artist or anything who created this story and design. It was just a reader, a fan, a Spider-Man fan. Wow. Randy spoke about this in interviews and we've got some of that. He says, I thought it would be cool if Spidey needed an upgrade to his powers and his look, so I came up with the idea that Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four had made a new costume for Spidey, using the same unstable molecules that the Fantastic Four costumes are made of. They would flow onto Pete's paws and allow him to cling to walls better. I think my original idea was to increase his sticking power by 25% or something like that. I saw the new suit as a stealth version of the original costume. Jet black so he could blend in with shadows. At best, all you could see of him was a blood-red spider emblem emblazed on his chest. Yes, in my design, the spider <laughs> was red, not white. I also gave him underarm webbing like in the original Ditko design. Um, I stole an idea from Iron Man, and I made his new web shooters work using the same cybernetic technology that Tony Stark used to create his armour. So Pete would just have to th- mentally imagine the kind of web he needed to shoot, and the suit would do it for him. Keep in mind, this was 25 years before Civil War and the Iron Spider-Man suit. <laughs> yes. A few months after submitting the story to the competition, 
I received a letter from Jim Shooter, Marvel Editor-in-Chief, the top guy, the top dude. <laughs> uh, the letter said he liked the idea and wanted to buy it from me for $220. I was thrilled, but the best part, they offered me a chance to write the story. I ended up submitting a second version and even had a follow-up phone call or two with Tom DeFalco to discuss the script. Wow, me on the phone with a real live Marvel editor. I still cannot believe this happened. (laughs) In the end, the whole scripting thing didn't work out for me. I don't remember the exact reasons. I submitted another version of the story. They didn't like it, and that was kind of the end of it. The whole thing just fell apart. Regardless, I have no regrets. As a true blue Spidey fan, this was a very cool moment in my life. So for $220... Marvel editor-in-chief Jim Shooter purchases the rights to this story, this idea, this redesign of Spider-Man. And then he puts it in a desk drawer. And then two years later, toy company Mattel gets scared about (laughs) He-Man. And this becomes very important. This sounds like a tangent, but it's not. 1984, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe are at the peak of their popularity, right? Thanks to the cartoon series, He-Man's the hottest toy in the shops. Mattel are making money hand over fist. But peaks always lead to troughs. And Mattel's mm. toy company rival, Kenner, who used to make the Star Wars toys, yeah, Kenner have just signed a big deal with DC Comics to produce a line of toys based on Superman, Batman, and the Justice League. So, 83-84, Mattel fear that He-Man may have had his day and that superheroes are set to be the next big thing in action figures. And if they are, then their biggest rival is going to have this Superman-Batman Justice League line. And where are they going to be? Trying to milk more out of He-Man, which may be over. So Mattel go to Marvel Comics to put together a deal to rival Kenner and DC. Anyone who's seen the awesome Netflix series, The Toys That Made Us, they'll know that you can't just release a new line of, of toys and action figures. That will fail, right? Because because of the way countries like America regulate and restrict how you can advertise toys to children, toy companies need to tie their action figures into something like <laughs> a movie or a TV show to act as product placements so things Mm. like G.I. Joe and He-Man are successful because they have popular cartoon shows that kids love and that act basically as a 30 minute advert the show ends (laughs) and watch your kid I want to play with the He-Man, I want to play with Snake Eyes I want to play with, they go and watch Star Wars, I want to play with Darth Vader right? so Mattel goes to Marvel Comics to set up a deal to create a new line of toys but only if Marvel stage a comic book event that will create a lot of attention. Mm. One big story with all the popular heroes and villains in it for the toy line. And that is the birth of the superhero crossover event. That is the reason we have the Infinity Saga and Thanos in the MCU. Ah, That moment. That deal. Mattel getting scared about He-Man is the reason. <laughs> Listen, think about this thread. 
Mattel getting scared about He-Man is the reason we have the Infinity Saga in the MCU. Because this event that they did proved to be so popular, made so much money, that Marvel and DC Comics would do big crossover events again and again and again. And that led to the Infinity Gauntlet. So Mattel had done market research with kids and, and they found that Kids said the two words that kids liked to, to hear most in a name was war <laughs> and secret. So Jim Shooter named the series Secret Wars. <laughs> Pretty simple, right? Mattel had some other requirements for the series. Uh, m- m- they had to, because of the price points, right? Mattel needed to make big pricey toys and vehicles and play sets. Think of He-Man. Think of every He-Man character has got a big plastic vehicle. There's the every every the good guys have a big playset base. The bad guys have a big playset base, a castle, all that kind of stuff. So Secret Wars, the Marvel comic, has to feature uh, the toy line has to feature a range of these. So the the comic book series has to feature vehicles for superheroes and a series of bases and headquarters. Essentially. This becomes Marvel Comics doing the version of He-Man. Yeah, there we go. All of the characters get teleported to this like desolate, bleak, desert world. They all get alien vehicles. <laughs> the bad guys get a series of different castles and bases. The good guys get a series of castles and bases. It's wild, man. Mattel had all these other things. They, they needed Marvel to introduce um, some new female characters. So Marvel creates a brand new version of Spider-Woman for the series. And this new version of Spider-Woman wears a jet black costume with a big white spider on the front. Exactly like that thing I just showed you of uh, of Pete's new costume. Then Jim Shooter pitched this idea to Mattel. What if we take the most famous character in the series, Spider-Man, and give him a brand new costume. Mattel loved that idea because that meant they could sell two different versions of the toy. Original costume Spidey and brand new costume Spidey. And kids would want to have both. So it's a marketing decision. (laughs) All of what we're about to look at is a marketing decision. Jim Shooter dusts off that story, that that concept that he bought from Randy Schuller in 1982. He makes some tweaks to the series, because obviously now it's got to take place in the middle of Secret Wars, not not at home with the Fantastic Four. And he has superstar artist, the guy that drew um, Secret Wars, Mike Zek, tweak the design. The biggest um, costume tweak being that the red spider becomes a white spider, Uh. mimicking the costume of the brand new Spider-Woman that they just introduced. Um, Secret Wars becomes the biggest selling comic book of the last 25 years. (laughs) It is a monster success. It ran... The storyline is a year long. It's 12 full issues, which never happened. Never happened in, in comic books at the time. It's issue eight that features this brand new black and white Spider-Man costume. Marvel had teased it 
um, in, in, in trade publications for a while beforehand um, and people had got really excited or at least really interested about it. Now, by 1985, Spidey has ditched the alien costume. Mm. But he's not returned to the classic red and blue. This is a really important thing. So costume changes and, and, and redesigns happen quite a lot these days in superhero comics, mainly because this one worked so well. Everyone's done it from Batman to Superman. Every character has done it. But they never really last. Maybe a few issues... You know, maybe maybe 10 or 12 issues, like a year. Black and white Spidey suit is so iconic and so gorgeous in its simple design. You know you know the power of simple designs. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the most iconic logos in the world are simple. They're not cluttered. They're not overcomplicated. To compare the, the, the original Spider-Man costume, which is gorgeous, it's got a lot going on. Yeah. This is jet black with that white thing. It's so iconic and popular um, that it stays with Spider-Man for the rest of the decade. He he starts wearing a black and white costume made from regular clothing, and he stays like that for the most of the eighties. And then in nineteen eighty-eight, three years after the um, the alien costume has been got rid of, the the costume returns with a brand new host, and that's the birth of Venom. Right, it, there we go. This saga is one of the most famous, most beloved, most iconic storylines in Spider-Man history. Mainly because, not mainly because, but a big part of it is the amazing job they do three years later with a brand new creative team of weaving this new character, Venom, into this iconic storyline. Normally, when you try to do that, it's a limp sequel that sucks. <laughs> they do it so well. The birth of Venom is so good. And tying back into this, it's perfect. Um, and uh, it, it, both Black Costume Spidey and Venom... Featuring tons of merchandise, practically every Spider-Man video game from 1990 onwards. And in 1994, it's recreated in the Spider-Man animated series, which at the time was the highest rated and most popular children's television show in America. Oh yes, I remember. Um, and they do a three-episode story arc on the black costume and then on Venom. Uh, who do you think... Does the voice of Venom? Ron Perlman. Hank Azaria. What? I thought you'd like that. I knew you'd like that. Hank Azaria. Yeah. Hank Azaria oh, fantastic. Does the voice of Eddie Brock and Venom in uh, in that. What Simpsons character does he sound like? I don't think he's... I mean, I, I, I don't think... I, I didn't spot it sound like any of them, my personally. Ah. You might have a different opinion. Um, and so that brings us on, on the full journey of the symbiote... And, and takes us up to where we are now. And again, I will reiterate, if you can hear what sounds like rifle fire in the background, <laughs> <laughs> it's bonfire night and there's things exploding all over the place. But it's relatively safe around here. Speaking of relatively safe, 
This segue means nothing, Will. Speaking of relatively safe, uh, have you got any uh, relatively safe letters for us to read out this week? No, no, I've only got dangerous and harmful letters in my bag. (laughs) So I've got one from Ian Hewitt who wrote in about the Venom and Black Spider-Man to say, it was a huge deal seeing Spidey in his black costume on the cover of the UK Secret Wars comic. For a while, it felt weird seeing him in his traditional costume whenever they showed Spider-Man and his his amazing friends on TV. I discovered comic shops in the late 80s, early 90s, and discovered Venom when I bought some amazing Spider-Man trade paperbacks on his first appearances. I loved the character instantly. Any villain who knows his secret identity always seems that much more dangerous. Seeing Venom in... That's, That's really important. Oh, yeah. This was one of the first characters to do that. And that's that's a huge point that Ian makes. It really is, um, because he's he's absolutely right. There's um, there's something deeply threatening about it. We'll we'll get to it because we've got a lot uh, to to chat about when it comes to Venom, of what makes him so terrifying in relation to Spider Man. Oh but yeah. yeah, he's he's so right. I like that aspect of him. So seeing Venom in the 90s Spidey cartoon was a huge moment for me. However, Venom was also responsible for me buying t- for me stopping buying comics. The endless miniseries Marvel released with foil covers, which all felt like half-hearted cash-ins, really put me off. Overkill, which really diluted the character, much like the way they paraded Wolverine in, in bloody everything. While typing this, I realised that my first experience of the alien symbiote costume was actually Transformers UK issue 6. Um, I, it's amazing when we talk about... Every time we talk about Spider-Man, how many people talk about that cartoon series, that 90s cartoon series that was so huge on both sides of the Atlantic, as we say. Um, and yes, the, the Spider-Man... There's Someone actually asked when we, talk, when we got into this debate. <laughs> so... Marvel UK is a different entity to um, Marvel US, but they both printed... The, Marvel had the license to print um, Transformer comics. And what they did is they didn't just do Transformers, they did Transformers with guest appearances by the Marvel superheroes. <laughs> of course they did. Which creates some weird crossovers, like Spider-Man showing up and fighting Optimus... Not Optimus Prime, Megatron. Megatron. Yeah, uh, and this is one of his earliest appearances. I, I, there's some people that say it's one of the earliest appearances of black costume Spider-Man. Now, what happened is Marvel then lost the license to do those Transformer comics, so none of that happened. <laughs> none of it is canon. But somebody did say, uh, since Transformers was a Marvel comic, would you ever consider doing the Michael Bay Transformer movies? <laughs> Oh. <clears throat> and I said probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean we're not we're not dying to do it, but uh, listen, we've got to keep making episodes. I, if you sign up to the Patreon, you can make us do it. I, I tell you what, maybe may just maybe I will be okay with that, but what I saw Transformers 2 in the cinema, and it's the only time in a cinema that I've yelled out because I hated the film so much. <laughs> Oh, one, but I yeah. One point, I just went, "Oh, for God's sake!" I distinctly remember the Marvel UK Transformer comics, which are still regarded. If you look, if you do a little digging and look at, look into this, 
not the not the US ones. Uh, I'm not saying the US ones were bad, but the UK ones had a different writing team and a different artistic team. They are so highly regarded by comic book fans as like the real high standard in because they bred so much of that almost 2000 AD energy, that wild British sci-fi energy to um to Transformers series. There is some dark moments in it. I remember watching characters die and Ooh. it's uh yeah, it's a really interesting series. So I think we don't rule it out. Like Howard the Duck, we don't rule it out. <laughs> <clears throat> We're going to do a lot of Batman if we do that. <laughs> We're going to do a lot of Batman. <laughs> what uh, else have you got, Will? I've got someone uh, one from uh, Dennis Nicolin who shares some memories from Russia. I was Ooh. introduced to Spider-Man when I was around three it was the 60s cartoon, and it was sold on non-label VHS. Six to seven episodes, as far as I'm concerned. No toys back then, however. I became a fan right away. Then, in 1995 to 1996, Russian TV Channel 4, NTV, bought the license for Spider-Man animated series. Along came the toys, and we thought it was a continuation of what we had on the cassettes. It was mayhem every Saturday at 6pm. The fights for TV were brutal. No boy wanted to miss an episode. <laughs> Otherwise, what were you going to discuss with the boys at the school or playground? Luckily, most of the parents were eager to watch the cartoon themselves as nobody had ever seen anything like it. And it was pretty damn wow. entertaining. Wow. <laughs> wow. It was a revolution too. Not only could you watch the cartoon, you could buy the toys they advertised after each episode. With the first, yes. yes, yeah, there we go. With the first toy, I think it wasn't even Spidey, probably Doc Ock or the Lizard. You'd get a display of the characters at the back. I remember I saw that black lizard-looking guy with an open mouth and a huge red tongue falling out like an insane beggar person. <laughs> 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 if I was at least ten back then, I'd say he was a Kiss character, but I just thought it was a weird alien version of Daffy Duck. <laughs> Daffy Duck. Okay, yeah. jet black. Yeah. Yeah. Do you tongue see sticking out. Okay, okay. Okay, okay. Uh, but by the time the Black Costume Trilogy uh, start, it all started to make sense. I was, wait- I waited for- I was waiting for the Falani so much, uh, I wanted to see that alien monster. I loved aliens. To my dismay, I was sent to an English class on that evening, although my parents said they'd record this episode as every other on the VHS recorder. Uh, we were very lucky in the 90s, so I could watch it later. But someone didn't push the button. When I returned, oh, I know. Oh no, that's horrible. Do you remember that? Do you remember that happening when you in the VHS era? Not necessarily when you were a kid. It could be when you were a kid, or when because I mean, I, I, back in my day, Will, yeah. back in my day, with my poor broke family, we would have to routinely borrow a video machine. My granddad, who had a bit more money, he had a Betamax. Yay. So if we wanted to rent a video, we'd have to arrange it with me, granddad, go around in the car. Borrow the Betamax, drive it back to my house, <laughs> then go to the video store, rent a Betamax tape, superior to VHS in every way, and then you could watch your movie or your cartoon or whatever, and then the next day you're going to drive it back to Grandad's and say, thanks for lending us the Betamax. I, I remember once I, I went, went for an, a weekend trip in Norwich, but around the same time the Sci-Fi Channel was showing Ghost in a Shell, and I'd never seen oh. And I'd never seen it. And this was in my early teens. So I put the video on and set the timers up, but got it wrong. Came back and it didn't record. And I was distraught. It's brutal. Yeah. Now I can just go on Netflix and see it all. And it's like, this, this, kids today won't understand 
the whole issue I, I, of timing things to a VHS. You're so right. When I was when I was a teenager, I became this American indie cinema junkie um, <laughs> through reading some books and and uh, desperately trying to find an identity that wasn't just uh, you know person from the West Midlands, <laughs> white kid from not Birmingham, and I was obsessed. With, I, I read a lot about Robert Rodriguez. Ah, uh, yes. And there was there was a TV movie he made before. After El Desperado, after El Mariachi, before Desperado, he mm. made a TV movie called Road Racers, and I'd read a book he wrote all about the making of the movie, and I'd read the script of the movie, and BBC Two for some reason was showing it. I have no idea why, but they were showing it at like midnight on a night when I was throwing an illegal house party while my folks were on holiday. And so I set the recorder up and everything, and I got really drunk, came in to check on it, and by checking on it, what did I do? Oh. I, I turned it off, turned the whole thing off. Yeah, brutal. And they never, ever showed that movie ever again, that TV movie. That's 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 a kick, a kick, in, the, the kick in the gut. Anyway, back to Russia. <laughs> hey, back to Russia, away from our... Back from to our, the USSR. Yeah, back to... <laughs> Back in the hey. Hey. retro, uh, I'm trying to remember which bit, which, which bit was. There we go. By the time, uh, oh, here we go. I, I've I've lost my place. Uh, let's see. But we did something. Uh, when I returned, there was no venom. When I returned, there was no venom. Gosh, imagine rewatching all the series on VHS later with that particular episode always missing. Jumping straight to the next episode, uh. I never learned anything about venom. Why was he on every video game cover? What happened to Brock? (laughs) Nor did I learn who Carnage was. I had the toy, but NTV cancelled broadcasting. I had to come up with my own stories when I was playing with action figures. Luckily, there was a rerun on other channels a few years later with the rest of the series. Then came the comic books, PC games, better dial-up internet. Black Costume Trilogy was my favourite when I was a kid. The looming threat of Venom in the first two, the perfect representation in the last one, a perfect thriller, made him one of my beloved comic book villains. He strikes a chord. He really does. I mean, leaps off. I mean, we'll talk about it in the next in the next uh, chapter. The, sorry, the final chapter in this story. Uh, the incredible popularity of Venom. Speaking of incredible popularity. <laughs> <laughs> We're not just here for you on the main show. We've got a website where we do even, we give out even more content. It's a place called Patreon. It's a place where you can support us, where you can keep the lights on, where you can become an executive producer, if you will, (laughs) of this podcast that you love so much, that you require, that you need. Because so far, folks, you get this for free. And doesn't that feel wrong? Incredibly. It's okay listening to a 20-minute podcast of two blokes chatting about nothing. What have you done this week? I don't know. You get that for free. That doesn't feel like you're doing them a favour. This, yeah. the, the, the blood, sweat and tears we pour into these episodes, the hours and hours of work and research and writing and commitment and ideas and storyboarding that we pour, the the three plus hours, two plus hours, one and a half plus hours we produce, you get it for free and you want to tell me you don't feel guilty, you don't feel like it's a sin, 
course it's a sin. You're committing a sin, but you can get clean. You can feel better about yourself. You can do the right thing. You head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash marvel versus marvel. Support your boys. Tip us. Support the show. Get access to bonus content because that's the thing that keeps coming and coming and coming. We've got incredible bonus content episodes up there. We've got short ones. We've got long ones. Uh, we, we've did a delve into Ghost Rider most recently. We had the, the saga of Daredevil's different secret identities being exposed. We had the Superior Spider-Man saga, which was amazing fun and, and mm. Dr. Octopus's finest hour. The Annihilation Wars, the mini bonus episodes on Captain America, on X-Men, on, on Spider-Man's Clone Saga. They're all there, ready and waiting for you as a thank you, not in exchange for, as a thank you for doing the right thing, tipping the show, becoming an EP of this here podcast and getting it done. EP for life. Yeah. Not for life, though. <laughs> you Peter J has uh, become one of, has become, is, was always there. Day one of us on Patreon. Peter J signed up, did his pledge, kept up in that pledge as well. Oh, that was good to see. Rose to the ranks. Started off with £3 a month and then he went, no, I need to give more. Started giving 10 Oh, you love to see it. And he's got some very fond memories of the storyline that started the symbiote saga. The, the thing to understand, and I hope, and I really do think this conveys it, Will, and to anyone who's a bit younger or anyone in the States, for so many people in this country... The explosion of promotion behind Secret Wars meant that it was a, a whole generation's first exposure to Marvel Comics. Mm. Secret Wars is ingrained in, 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 in so many Marvel fans of a certain age, <laughs> decrepit, in this country. Because Toys R Us were stacked with these toys. Toy shops were stacked with these toys. And of course, Mattel want to get this comic book out as much as possible. Because if you buy the comic, you're going to buy a toy. So this was everywhere. Peter J, this was his this was his gateway drug. And he writes to us to say, what can I say about Secret Wars? I read this as the large size British reprint and it was awesome. This was basically my introduction to comics, to superheroes and to Marvel. I think the British reprints begin began the same month as the American version finished. That's not something I'd looked into before. So like a year later. They had everything I wanted as a kid. The comics themselves came with free stuff. Stickers and transfers of all the cool heroes and villains. Giant posters that depicted action scenes. And extra stories in the form of one or two comics in the back of the issue, in particular Alpha Flight and Iceman, <laughs> as well as the comic book uh, for the toy line Zoids. Do you remember Zoids, Will? Rings a bell. Zoids were they were kind of like a transformer, but they were they were animal. They were all animals, and they all looked um, like almost like they were made of plastic Meccano. Oh were, yes, uh, I remember. Fascinating them things. Now. They're uh, very popular in, in Japan. 
and I've got some friends who still collect the 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 kind of major ones that you spent like 600 quid on. Um, Pete says, you also got the S.H.I.E.L.D. fact file reports on the heroes and villains, giving backgrounds, origins, real names, power sets. There was a letter page, competitions, editor's introduction, each issue. I think the editor page was called War Office Memos, which sounded awesome to young me. At the same time, there was also all these action figures and a TSR role-playing game adventure to be used with Dungeons & Dragons. It had maps of the the battle planet from Secret Wars, floor plans of the bases. It was so amazing. As a kid, my love of role-playing, superhero comics, action figures, art to a certain degree, science fiction, my obsession with American comic books starts here. Secret Wars has a lot to answer for. And I think that rings true because I think it directly gives us the MCU. The story was awesome to me as a kid, but it was also doing something else. It was giving me a look at the characters in these amazing situations and telling me about them via these S.H.I.E.L.D. fact file reports, getting me to use them in role-playing games, hold them in action figure form, and my room was covered in posters and stickers. Pause button. This is exactly how I got into uh, WWF wrestling as a kid. Oh, yeah. Exactly the same. I, I might have mentioned it before. I might definitely mentioned it to Peter J um, in the past when he sent this in. I, I, I've been a life, pretty much a lifelong wrestling fan since I was a little kid, right? Mm. But I have, I'm convinced that I thought it was the, the British stuff that my great aunt, an old lady, watched on Saturday was dull and boring. <laughs> but yeah. then... The WWF did this massive expansion, and suddenly their toys, mm. the action figures you can play with, their stickers, trading cards as a cartoon, there's video games. Are you kidding me? And that is what like grabbed me as a kid and dragged me in. It's like a playable, immersible world, and you don't always get that. I mean, comic books don't. This is such an great Pete's giving us such a great view of that immersible world that they gave you with Secret Wars. When it's everywhere, when you, you're so completely in it, it's not just you buy a comic and then you buy another one two weeks later. It's, you know, it's it's huge. Basically, Pete says, I drank the Marvel Kool-Aid and it was <laughs> awesome. I don't think it's ever worn off. In fact, later years, it got me into all the comics out there too. Much more printed media to boot. To this day, I love... Doctor Doom, Claw, The Wrecking Crew, She-Hulk, Kang and Hawkeye, all because of Secret Wars. They did such a good job of marketing this to me that the story could almost have been secondary to all of this. I mean, it may have been, and I just didn't notice as a kid. There's also the introduction of Ben Grimm being able to change from Thing to Human and back again. Spider-Man's new black suit that seemed to be slightly better than just normal clothes. At the time, I was only familiar with Spider-Man from the TV, so seeing this new costume for him was unusual. They were rerunning the Spider-Man TV series on ITV at the time, so the black suit for me was stark and fleeting. It's a shame, because me and my best friend talked for ages about how cool that black suit was, all the things it can do. I have strong memories of Secret Wars cover with Spidey's new black costume on it. Uh, on the cover of one of the early issues, Wolverine has his claws out and is saying, 
let's do to them before they do to us. Aggressive, violent. It was right there on the shelf next to the Beano and Whizzer and Smash Hits <laughs> magazine. I mean, how could I not fall headlong into this new world that Marvel were handing to me fully formed? Um, that's a great letter. Thank you, Peter J, for getting in touch. Thank you for stepping up, supporting, for doing the right thing, being an executive producer of this show. We don't have time to go through the wild and amazing story of Secret Wars in this episode. There's too much to do. That story is too big. So, our next full-length bonus episode on Patreon is going to be a deep dive into the first ever Marvel comic book crossover event. The precursor to the Infinity Gauntlet, the Infinity Saga. It all starts with Secret Wars. We're going to do it, Will. We're going to do it, and we want you to join us. You head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash marvel versus marvel. Do the right thing and make sure you join us for part two of this incredible symbiote saga trilogy. Well, we've we've taken care of business. We've paid the bills. We've listened to our wonderful, wonderful listeners out there and what they've had to say. We've had the story, the incredible story from... Randy Schuller to He-Man of how we got here. This is the first part of our chapter on the uh, the symbiote and Venom. It lays before us now, Will, Spider-Man 3. Please do what only you can do. Press play and lead us through the movie. And it was me thinking there was too much talk of VHS so far in the podcast. <laughs> so let's press play. Betamax. Yes. So... Peter Parker is beginning to relax in his life. Spider-Man has become a cultural phenomenon. His studies are excelling, and his girlfriend, Mary Jane, has performed her first real major act in a Broadway show with both Can him... I just, I just interrupt right there? Okay. <clears throat> Here's a little thing. Nothing to do with you. Here's a little tip. Anytime you think Peter Parker's life is going well... Hold on. Because <laughs> it is all about to fall apart. All I could think um, is the South Park Rob Schneider um, movie trailers. Rob Schneider's got everything going for him until <laughs> he's a stapler. Yeah, that's, yeah, Peter Parker is really, he's the Rob Schneider trailer <laughs> of comic books. <laughs> yeah. Just I'm, that is the most, the portent of doom. Peter Parker is beginning to relax. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Pete, what are you doing, mate? No. Be miserable. No. Save yourself. So, so and, and MJ's doing well as well. She's in, uh, she, she's in a Broadway show with both, uh, with both Peter and Harry in the audience. Peter is up for a job at the Bugle, as long as he can get a picture of Spider-Man committing a crime before rival photographer Eddie Brock does. What a glorious return from Jay Jonah at the oh. start there. The buzzing, the loud buzzing, the, uh, as Betty Betty Grant is buzzing him to take his pill. That was oh my such a God, good that's moment. that's so funny. That's so funny. It's so... Oh, God. It, oh... J J K Simmons just in, I I want to I'll talk about him later but J J J J J J J J J there's too many J's in both names <laughs> J K Simmons truly embodies that role so well he's a great actor and I, it's a joy seeing him in nearly everything he's in apart from Terminator Genesis <laughs> I have to say though 
the way Peter Parker acts at the start of the film, he has this very weird, old-fashioned and charming way about him at the start. You know, he's got the side parting, he's got the flowers, he's going to go see his best girl do her show. He's very 1950s. Yeah, I, I, I think actually he's very 1950s. Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, that is the thing about Peter Parker, the character is that he's written in the middle of the swinging 60s mm. and he's written to be the lame squaro. Yeah. So he's written to be someone who is who is portraying the characteristics of the 1950s, which is why he doesn't have any friends in college. Yeah. Like, all of the kids in college, Harry, Gwen, MJ, because he keeps, like going home to his aunt they're all like oh god what a square he's one of those 1950s dude like it's guys we're taking drugs and shagging all the time now what are you doing peter yeah like get so that's uh as ever will such an astute point that you've made i i don't know how deep Raimi and the writers went into this but it does certainly feel like they're i think i think um this is a movie about contrasts mm. it's a movie very much about black and white however however late to the game the symbiote and venom was added this movie was always going to be about black and whites about this kind of toss up between what pete perceives as good and what pete perceives as as bad or, or evil so i think it's uh, very interesting considering where we go with the character that we start with this very recognisable, leave it to Beaver style, you know, good good guys, you, you know, yeah, like you said, old fashioned good guy. Yeah, old fashioned good guy. I like that. And then we have Eddie Brock, who seems to be the mirror image of Pete. I mean, they're both they're about the same build, same height. They're gunning for the same job. Is it like that in the comic books? Absolutely not. Oh, absolutely God, here we not. Go. Eddie Brock is a big, thick bodybuilder. He's hench. <laughs> of course, his name's he Brock. He's hench. Brock. He's big, he's tall, he's got massive broad shoulders and a buzz cut. And he's usually depicted, especially to begin with, as being an older man to Pete. Mm. You regularly see him working out, lifting weights, whether it's in his crappy hideout. Or when he's in jail, he's forever doing like one of those one-armed pull-ups on the cell bars, like bulging. But and this is the super macho era art of comics, the late eighties yeah. and the early nineties super macho artwork. So it's huge biceps with a rippling vein down there, and just everyone's everyone's massive. Captain America is drawn to be this massive bodybuilder, and everyone's a massive bodybuilder. Yeah, he's it. He has this in an insane inner monologue when he's working out. He's just like pumping iron, and he's like, "Gotta get strong to kill Spider Man." <laughs> he's like, um, "You, you have we did this before. You haven't seen you haven't seen Cape Fear, but it is like De Niro in Cape Fear. He does he's, he's lifting weights, and he's just thinking about gonna get strong so I can get out and kill my lawyer. There's, there's a lot of that going on. Um, the the mm. yeah, he he wants to be. Uh, he wants to be a beast, a gym beast, then the suit can like power him up. What what they're doing in the comic books is presenting this absolute opposite number to Peter Parker. 
the complete contrast, mm. right? So in, in the 80s, uh, especially with the amazing Todd McFarlane drawing Spider-Man, Spider-Man's emphasized as this super agile, twisty, bendy, lithe, lightweight figure. Very toned, obviously, and he's got Spider-Man powers, right? But he poses, he has this kind of arachnid pose to him. When he leaps yeah. through the air, his arms and legs are kind of like all into, you know, you wouldn't look at that guy and go, oh, he's really power. He doesn't project physical power, right? So mm. the opposite number to that physicality is big, beefy, huge, imposing figure, <laughs> twice the size. Brock Everything Block. about Eddie... Everything about Eddie Brock in the comics is meant to scream at you, this guy is more powerful than the hero, be scared. <laughs> Every part of him. Now, what Raimi is doing in this movie is trying to create Peter's twin, not his opposite number. Yeah. I, I, I cannot tell you the hate that was flying around the internet when Topher Grace was cast. The chat sites, the message boards, they went insane. Because they cast this skinny little gangly guy from that 70s show <laughs> as Brock. Brady Brock, right? It it was, honestly, it was, um, the, 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 the knives were out before anyone saw the movie for Venom. Whatever the movie was going to present, the knives were already out. And it's also worth knowing that mm. Eddie Brock was in this script bef back when Venom wasn't meant to be in the movie. Eddie okay. Brock was going to be this twin, opposite twin number of Peters, and he was never going to become Venom. Okay, That was part of Avi Arid's... Uh, you've got to make him Venom. <laughs> if, he's in the, if he's in the movie, you can't... Like blue ball the audience like that. <laughs> if you're gonna give them Eddie Brock, you gotta make him Venom. So, yeah, it's a little, it's a, it's a very strange casting. But no, that's not what Eddie Brock looks like. I just looked at Topher Grace, and I don't think him and John Mulaney have been in the same room together. <laughs> they look absolute spitting image of each other. Okay, so I, 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 I can understand. I can understand the uh, the hate on the internet because yeah. there's always hate there, isn't there? There's always hate. Uh, that's where the internet. That's where hate lives. Hate lives on the internet. Yeah, hate lives on the internet. So back to the film. Inside Norman Osborn's secret laboratory, Harry emerges from the same machine that gave his father enhanced powers. Surrounded by a green mist, it becomes clear that Harry has exposed himself to the powerful goblin formula. While Peter and Mary Jane make out in the woods, a meteor lands nearby without the couple noticing. An alien symbiote oozes from the meteorite and hitches a ride on Peter's motorised yellow scooter as they depart. You have a question? Yes, before you go any further, sir. Yes. Uh, like, how are they comfortably sitting in his web and then just getting off it and walking away from it. Well, you mean he, did, he forgot to take his web down? No, Spider-Man's web lasts for over an hour. You can't get out of it. Ah, maybe he covered it in mud. Now, in the dust. comic books, in comic books, I would have been able to say to myself, Peter invented a special kind of web fluid <laughs> that allowed him and his girlfriend to lie in it and not get stuck to it 
but this is not the comic books. Peter doesn't can't alter the formula. This is essentially spit and saliva and poop yeah. that comes out of his wrist. Yeah. <laughs> he has no control over it. He can't change the formula. I, How can they not get stuck to it, but when he swings from a web line or webs up a bad guy, they're stuck? I think I, I, I think there should have been like 30 seconds of dialogue going, gee, Willikers, Peter, it's a good thing that you invented this really specific spider web formula. But how? How could he? I don't know. He doesn't use a formula. It comes from his body. Oh, yeah, sorry. I keep getting mixed up with real Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, he has no. He can't change the formula. Maybe he. It's just his excrement may, of some description. Maybe he just ate raw pasta. Maybe raw that's pasta. a good point. Raw pasta. Sorry, you can carry on with the movie. No, now. no, it's fine. It's just I. I was. I, I'm now thinking. How could he do that? Anyway, uh, so this is the funny thing: couples making out in the woods, and then a meteor falls down, and a blob comes out. This feels like the uh, 1950s B movie, movie, The Blob, doesn't it? It's exactly it's, the it, same start. It's very much... Uh, we, we got some of... I mean, it's obviously Sam Raimi loves Grindhouse. He loves B-movies. Yeah. We know that oh, from yeah. the movies that he's made in the past. We saw some of that with Dr. Octopus in, mm. in Spider-Man 2. He really injected it with that kind of monster movie vibe, especially when Doc Ock is breaking out of the hospital oh, and yes. stuff. Um, that kind of grindhouse horror kind of vibe to it. And yeah, there was an element here of them doing the classic it came from another world mm. kind of start to one of those drive-in movies about alien, cheap alien blobs, or, or indeed, the, yeah, a little bit of the blob, yeah. Although the blob doesn't come from outer space, but yeah. The blob does come from outer space. It, doesn't the blob come from a laboratory? The remake, the blob comes... I haven't seen the remake, but I read about it. The re- remake, it comes from a laboratory in the re- 1950s original with Steve McQueen. That's right. Comes from outer you space. are right. Yeah. He does, he does, he does. Because it was originally called... I think it's originally called the blob from outer space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. Is the, is the remake worth watching? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not Steve... If it, Steve McQueen is such a powerful force on any screen that that elevates whatever he's in. No, no, he was in the 1950s one. I was talking about the 80s one or the. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. When he's not in it, um, then your expectations, like it just, it doesn't quite. It doesn't quite hold up. It's not like so the the the, the King Kong remake uh, in the in the seventies with uh, your man, the dude. Um, I really think that's very much worth watching, but there's nobody really in. There's nobody really in the remake, the 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 eighties one, to, to make you go. Oh, I've got to, I've got to see this. Yeah, <laughs> that's no star power. So before we go down the tangent of uh, of the blob, is this really how the symbiote comes to Earth in the comic books? Is this really how it comes down? He just comes out of the sky. No, no. Spidey does not okay. encounter the symbiote on Earth. Oh, um, so as part of the Secret Wars, Spidey and all the powerful heroes and villains get transported to an alien world called Battle World. <laughs> well, someone Battle calls world. it Battle World because there's going to be a lot of flipping battles on it. Um, and it's a it's a planet full of very strange things. 
weird technology, kind of abandoned technology, alien races. Um, and that's where he finds the symbiote for the first time. It doesn't fall to Earth on a meteor. It actually it, it comes back to Earth with Spider-Man because he's ah. already started to use it. Um, there was a lot of talk, I remember, a lot of talk, when Spider-Man 2 came out and we had astronaut John James John Jameson. Ah, yes. There was a lot of talk of them saying, that's how they're going to get the symbiote to Earth. Because everyone was like, "We, you, how can you do Venom and the symbiote without Secret Wars? Mm. You can't do Secret Wars. That, that's like four movies. <laughs> you yeah. can't, you know, we can't do that. And we don't have all the other characters and what would it be? So how on earth would they get that link in? And people was like, oh, it could be something that John Jameson brings back from the moon. Um, or from his next trip to Mars, or whatever it might be. Mm. And that would have been, I think, a lot cleaner yeah. than just, here, here it is, <laughs> here it is, there you go. And it would, have felt, it would have felt connected to the rest of the movie. Yeah, because Venom kind of doesn't feel connected. It doesn't. Speaking of which, that's that that's something I wrote down right, and I and I I, I missed it out. Just so apologies for being out of sequence, Mister Will. Well, you're running the show. I'm aware of that. <laughs> may I speak? May I speak about the the opening credits briefly? Yes, absolutely. What I loved about the opening credits of Spider Man Three, the same as Spider Man Two, is that they use all of these images from the previous movies as the credits are rolling, the opening credits are. Right? You remember that? Yeah. So they've got the web, and they've got all the images from Spider-Man 2 are there. Yeah. And the dramatic, the great dramatic movie. With Spider-Man 2, I preferred it a little bit more because they used the incredible artist Alex Ross to paint the images from Spider-Man 1. That was yep. gorgeous. They don't do that in this one, but they do use the, the you know, the, the, the footage... And what that does, and I don't have, to, I've got this note on my phone, which I don't have with me, so I haven't written this down in front of me. What that does is it <clears throat> it creates this idea that you are returning to a story. Yes, that the story is carrying on, yes. and that you're. Do you know what I mean? It's so much that it's not, and then it's so good. It's so good at how it does that. Whereas the vast majority of action sequels at the time work really hard to kind of almost stand alone somehow. And then they've got a couple of not like, ah, you old son of a gun. I haven't seen you in a couple of years. <laughs> and you're like, oh, they're talking about the last movie. And 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 you know what I mean? But they don't but this is very much not I'm not I don't I'm not to say that you can't enjoy this without the other movies. Same as <coughs> Spider Man two, but I mean just from the right from the get go, they do this it's almost like it's almost like welcoming you back to a soap opera or to yeah. something that's that's carrying on. Your this world has carried on and you're just getting to revisit it again. I think that's really really I don't know what it, it's warming and it's really nice. And I think it's I think it's really positive. But maybe maybe someone didn't see the others and sat down to watch this and it I don't know they thought it was negative, but I I absolutely and it made it really struck me with this and with Spider Man Two is how great that is. I I liked it. I liked it. it. It seemed a bit cheap. I would have liked it if they did what they did with Spider Man Two and just animate it. That that would have been lovely. But you know, it was like, hey, yeah, they didn't do previously on Spider Man. 
Yeah, no, of course they do it in a they do it in a very cinematic way. It it does it does it does come off like that. So, back to the film. At Aunt May's apartment, Peter reveals that he's planning on proposing to Mary Jane. Aunt May gives Peter the ring Uncle Ben gave her, and Peter gratefully accepts. As Peter rides home on his scooter, he is suddenly attacked by Harry Osborne in a new goblin suit. They fight, with Harry trying to kill Peter several times. Harry is defeated when Peter makes a web line across two walls, causing him to hit his head on a bar and sending him toppling into the ground. Worried about his friend's condition, Peter takes Harry to the hospital. Due to the bump on his head, Harry loses most of his memory and forgets that Peter is Spider-Man and his enemy. The uh, there's, a, there's a lot to take in here. Uh, Aunt May's story about Aunt Uncle Ben proposing was genuinely lovely. It was a genuinely you know, lovely little monologue being told yeah. it was just so so i mean rosemary harris uh this is the only films i've ever seen her in and she's been great at, at this character I, <clears throat> I was overwhelmed i was genuinely kind of overwhelmed by that scene mm. um <clears throat> i because it felt it felt it, true it felt like a genuinely like a story that happened I I don't I, I I'm a big fan of the MCU. I'm I'm not like criticizing or running down the 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 other the, the the other types of ways of making movie and I'm not, you know, running down um <clears throat> like the Dark Knight trilogy or whatever. Mm. But these three movie, I mean this is this is not the best. This Spider-Man 3 is not the best of them. They just their their presentation, the the emo. I, I, I can't. I just can't. It's so hard to describe. Nobody else is doing emotion. Nobody else yeah. is doing this incredible humanity. This incredible humanity. You care so much about Aunt May. You care so much about Peter Parker, and that makes everything else so much more important. Do you? I I don't think I care about a single person. In the MCU, as much as I care about Aunt May in this movie, yeah. only all, all three of these movies, yeah. like maybe Cap, maybe maybe Chris Evans, because Chris Evans I think has the most heart. Captain America has the most heart and humanity and emotion yes. of all the characters. A little bit, a little bit Star Lord with his origin, but I, I just don't. I, I, it's so, it's so incredibly powerful, and it's so Marvel. It is what. What have we what have we talked about when we looked at the history of Marvel comics in the sixties? What's what makes them stand out from the pre-war and the wartime comics and the DC comics is that DC are doing these. Um, I will fight for justice. They're doing these square jaw <laughs> typical heroes, and 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 Stan, Jack, Steve Ditko, Don Heck. These guys come in, and they're like, yeah, but but. What about jealousy and anger and guilt? And what about being sad and lonely? And what about being poor? And what about being broke? And what about being disabled? And what about just like not feeling you're good? And, and they just pour their hearts into these comics and into these characters. And Sam Raimi is the absolute best. And the writers and the wonderful actors and all the people that made these three movies. 
They have never been touched before or since in pouring their hearts and portraying that Marvel Comics humanity on screen. It's and uh, yeah, I, she's still with us. Um, Rosemary is. She's absolutely incredible in all three of these. Adora, absolutely adora. Oh, absolutely. Long may she. I, I mean, you'd love her to come back and get to do something else. Instead, they got who did they get to play her in uh, in the new ones? Well, let's not let's not. She's an Oscar winner. Let's not you know look down our nose at the new uh, Aunt May. Who and I said everyone's incredible <clears throat> in 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 all of them. Marissa Tomei is also one of the most stunningly attractive women in the history of American cinema. Yes, um, but it, yeah, it's not a knock on any of them. I just and they're obviously you know some of some of, but this is able to be the most successful freaking movie like 800 like nearly 900 million dollars and still present that much gorgeous beating heart humanity that's that why is I love- a freaking achievement even if you know some parts of this movie you know don't quite work or or or, or kind of shoehorned in um, I, I, I think that really convinced me really early on because I was like I remember not quite liking this movie when it first came out yeah, I, and I, I was saw the Rosemary same. Harris. I saw Rosemary Harris do Aunt May right at the start, and I went, and that scene with Pete and 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 Tommy McGuire is so good at doing Peter Parker. He's so good at doing lonely, scared, and and sad, and 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 not being good enough. It just knocked me down, and I was like, I I think I'll defend this series until the day I die. I I, I obviously I'll, I'll say my final piece at the end of the podcast, but I will say, yeah, I enjoyed this a lot more than when I first watched it. Yes, I, 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 that's I, happened to us so many times, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, <clears throat> when he's having a fight with Harry, that bit where he loses the wedding, wedding ring, that was like... Oh, God! That, 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 my heart was going, <laughs> was like, no, no, why would that... Right, because they have infused that yeah. wedding ring with so much emotion and yeah. importance. Not a MacGuffin importance, not you need to keep hold of this to save the day, but... An emotional importance, an emotional tether to Aunt May, an emotional tether to Uncle Ben, upon whom this whole thing sits. Exactly. Oh, God. And on the opposite of that, we've got Harry with his goblin glider. (laughs) That looks like a PC graphics card. It's got it's got lights oh, and fans. Right. It just looks like it. He stole it out of someone's incredibly large gaming PC. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it doesn't quite look as cool as the one. I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to do like a modern version of a goblin glider, but the goblin glider looked like from the first movie. Yeah. Looked looked kind of like like a thing a supervillain would. I mean, it was just it kind it, of had it, like a design to it and a flair to it. This just looks uh, scaled don't down, scaled down, and just I don't know. I I I, I, I it looked like, like they were trying to make a snowboard. Yes, that was about to say. I was about to say, yeah, it looked like a snowboard for for, for the twenty second century or something. Like, hey, it's like a hoverboard, but it's a snowboard. Uh, also, yeah. at the end of yeah, the yeah, fi- yeah. at the end of the fight where he knocks Harry out with the with the web clothesline, I I did burst out laughing because it was the, the the timing, the comic timing, yeah. and the noise, the sudden silence was straight out of something from a cartoon, but in a good way for me, and I just thought that was great. Even though it's quite followed by quite a dramatic moment of oh my god, my friend's about to die, 
And that felt very much like when you get into a fight with your brother or your best friend when you're a kid and you kind of let go a bit too much and you actually hurt them. And then you're like, oh, yeah. God, it got serious. Oh, yeah. it got serious. Yeah, that's that. I know that feeling. Also, yeah. it, but it's a good thing, obviously, because he doesn't die. He just gets amnesia. Uh, and obviously, we talked about it in the comic books. I mean, we, we he does get amnesia at one point, and he, it, it, it is pretty much what happens, isn't it? Um, no. Gets, oh, no, no, I, no, no. I remember differently. Not. Yeah, it's Norman Osborn that it happens to. Damn it! <laughs> there we yeah. go. I'm I'm not entirely maybe you can maybe you have a thought on this. I'm not entirely sure why this happens in the movie. Like why why doesn't it just progress with Harry wanting to ruin Pete's life? Why do they need this little sidebar into he's back to how he was in the first movie for a for a bit? I think I think they did it. So they could give more space to let the other elements of the story progress because they wouldn't be able to progress easily without them thinking, mm. oh, wait a minute, but what's Harry doing at the time? Why, why isn't he going around on his uh, NVIDIA GTX 900? Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think you're exactly right. I, I also, however, do think that Norman Osborn having amnesia is one of the most exciting and electrifying parts of... of of those of those comic books, um, mm. to to remind you, Norman Osborn knows Peter's secret identity, and after sort of torturing Pete and fighting him and being like torturing him with the fact that he's going to come after him and he's going to come after his whole family, Norman gets hurt and losing all loses all his memories, mm. uh, his recent memories. Then there's this brilliant period of time where Pete doesn't know if the memories are going to come back. Pete, so basically, Peter Parker does not want his best friend to lose his father. Yeah. So he doesn't send Norman Osborn to prison. He destroys the Green Goblin costume and the glider, and he covers it all up. And he and he like basically says, "Oh, you've been in an accident, but I saved you. Go to hospital. You'll be all right." And then from that point on, Norman is like this very present figure in Peter's life because he's his best friend's dad. At the time, Pete is living with Harry Osborne in college, in dorms, and well, in an apartment, and they have family dinners, and Aunt May's there, and all that kind of stuff is going on. And the whole time, Pete is on a knife edge. He does not know if Norman is going to suddenly regain all his memories. Is he just faking? Yeah. Is he going to kill me at any possible minute? Um and so I think that I think as well as that I think it's a very it's it's a it's a good point and I did kind of think of it as well that it's perhaps giving space to Sandman to breathe and Eddie Brock to kind of breathe but I also think that perhaps they wanted to include a little bit of of that electricity of does he know does he not know when's it going to come back I think and it does lead to that very nice uh, coffee shop scene yeah. where. You think they're friends, but then... I I think it's a nice way of just putting a pin on a plot point, going, we can come yeah. back to that later. That's fine. It's why it's why they do it all the time in, in, in soap operas and telenovelas, mm. because you don't you need a storyline to go on for a very long time, yeah. because you just do, because you're, you're tuning out, I don't know, 
three episodes a week or four or five or whatever. So yes, sometimes you you, you want to just just give it a bit of rest. I mean, it's very convenient. You could almost ask uh, if it's a Deus Ex Machina. Boo! <laughs> I reckon that might catch. Boo! Although I would say, it isn't a Deus Ex Machina? Is it is serendipity? It's a chance, um, chance thing that happens. No, not not. I mean, not really. No. Oh, I've run out of words. Yeah, it's just a thing that happens. <laughs> it's an event <laughs> or yeah. an incident, depending on if you're a policeman. So yeah, I, I I like that aspect to it. It's a nice. It's a very convenient narrative device. Yes, there we go. That's not a great catchphrase, Will. Well, I just I'll go back to the I'll go back to the previous one, but I've already used it. I've already used it once <laughs> per episode. So back to the film. Across town, Flint Marco escapes from prison and goes to his old apartment where his wife and daughter still live. Penny, his daughter, gives him a pen, pendant with her own picture on it before he is kicked out since he's on the run from the police. I think it's worth talking a bit more about uh, about, about his tragic story here because he, he's just viewed as yet another crook or another guy on the run. But he's, he's, he's got a terminally ill daughter and, a, and he's been locked away from his family and there's a genuine... I mean, all throughout the film, even though he, he becomes a bit of a... But there were moments when I saw him as Sandman and I'm thinking, okay, mate, calm down, calm down. Uh, he's got some real humanity and tragic uh, tones to, to, to his story, I think. It's really, I think they could have done more with it, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, um, I think this is part of, um, I think they would have done more with it if they didn't have to do Venom. <laughs> yeah. Probably, because the, the whole point of, of the original vision for this movie is Peter kind of gets like this big, he, he kind of gets um, stuck in this worldview of black and white. And with the adulation he's getting, he sees himself as this big hero that can't do any wrong. Mm. And then he starts to be confronted with the idea that criminals and crooks are not necessarily bad, terrible people. Ooh. And so it's kind of like, you know, there are shades of grey in, in the world, you know. Spider-Man becomes nuanced. Yeah. He's sw- yeah. swinging around the corner going, well, actually. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. I mean, and I think that is something that it that it does um, does resonate. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, yeah. it's a bit different from Batman punching people in the face for stealing bread and whatnot, you know. That doesn't happen. Let's just make that clear. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Batman is not a fascist unless Frank Miller is like <laughs> I was wait, waiting for the butt then. I was like, but Frank Miller. But Frank... Oh, that guy. Oh, yeah. dear. Oh, dear. So I take it that... Am I, I'm going to come out on a limb here. Am I going to be right in saying that Sandman does not have a tragic uh, story in the comic books and it was invented later in the 80s? Ooh, catchphrase time. Sort of, but not really. Um, It's kind of an interesting one. I I wouldn't say he has a tragic backstory Mm. before this movie comes out. Um, But he is certainly, at a couple of points, he's given a very human and sympathetic kind of thread. Mm. Um, 1972, the amazing Roy Thomas... 
you'll remember him from our kind of Avengers Age of Ultron episode. He, it's like Stanley's, like, he takes over from Stanley on on all these comic books, and he's like Stanley's right hand man, and he he becomes one of the top editors, and he writes freaking everything, yeah. especially in the seventies. In nineteen seventy two, uh, Roy Thomas is launching a launches a brand new comic book called Marvel Team Up. Right, Marvel Team Up mm. features Spider Man in every issue, teaming up to sell it, teaming up with another superhero from the Marvel universe. Um, you don't necessarily get long running storylines and supporting cast members. It's kind of just like a one and done issue, but it features whatever's going on in the in the other comic. You know, whatever's happening to Spider Man in Amazing Spider Man will probably feature in Marvel Team Up and so yeah. on. Anyway. That's too much detail on a comic book you don't need to know about. <laughs> uh, in the first issue, um, Sandman's the, ba- the bad guy in the first issue of Marvel Team Up. He- he's broken out of prison. Spider-Man and the Human Torch team up to stop him. And they're expecting him to go on like a rampage now he's out of prison or pull off some big heist. And after finally tracking him down, it turns out Sandman has escaped prison so he can visit his sick mother for Christmas. Oh, like she doesn't know he's a criminal, and he's like it would it would kill her if she found out. So Spidey, feeling the pangs of his own childhood growing up without a mom, convinces uh, Human Torch to, to that they're going to let Sandman visit his mother and spend some time with her for Christmas, <laughs> and then they're going to take him to jail. Um, and and Spidey even gives Sandman. A present that he just got for Gwen Stacy, so he can give to his mom a Christmas present. Oh, um, and um, and then when it comes time to take him back to prison, Sandman double crosses them, and he he like turns into sand and, and gets away. But Spidey and Human Torch don't like jump after him. They just go, ah, we'll give him a few days. We'll celebrate Christmas. He can celebrate Christmas, and then we'll we'll go after him after that. So from that. <laughs> That that gets overlooked for a while, but it then it's like it becomes. It's like within eight to nine years, writers go. That was a real high point of Sandman, that he was like a human, like he was a villain, but he was a sympathetic villain to some extent. He had humanity. He wasn't just ha 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 ha, you know. So mm. yeah, there's there's a, a definitely a thread of humanity and 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 sympathy in Sandman down the line. I like that. That's very good. So, back to the film. When Peter Parker arrives back at his crusty apartment, Mary Jane comes in and shows him the review from her first major act. The critic said her voice was too small for such a major role. MJ is devastated and later fired. Pete seems unable to relate to Mary Jane without bringing up what life is like for him as Spider-Man. New York has embraced Spider-Man and now celebrates him with toys and t-shirts, cheering him in the streets. MJ starts to become a bit jealous, especially when she watches Spider-Man kiss Gwen Stacy at Spider-Man's key to the city ceremony. Pete tries to propose to MJ at a fancy restaurant, but they're interrupted by Gwen Stacy. MJ finds out that the girl Peter kissed isn't just a stranger he saved, but a woman he knows his lab partner at university. Hurt by his actions, MJ leaves the restaurant. 
Speaking as a stand-up comedian, uh, albeit an open mic comedian, oh no, she got a bad review. I want a review. I have never been reviewed. And every time someone goes, I got a bad review, I went, I want to be mentioned by a publication. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't want a bad review. Yeah, but you can twist Do you want a bad review? You, you, can, you, can, you can take certain words out and then say, hey, the Guardian said this about me. <laughs> uh, I know someone who shall remain nameless. Okay. Who who had on their um, on their list of industry quotes that was on some of their posters for like Edinburgh shows? A wonderful way with words, the BBC. Okay. Now, mm. what that was is that he was knobbing this bird from Pebble Mill like a receptionist at the BBC, and she once said to him via text, "Oh, you've got a wonderful way with words," and he went, "I'm having that." <laughs> That is so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's one of my favourite industry stories of all time. Did they get yeah. found out? He had that on his... No. <laughs> uh, he had that on his poster. Had that on his poster for years. I think it's still on his uh, comedycv.co.uk site because no one else edits them. <laughs> I... Wait That's a minute. Wonderful. I'm going to find No, no, mate. I'll tell you what. I'll tell I'll tell you after. I'll tell you after. Okay, tell me after because I'm, I'm really just not going to do it on the air. <laughs> no, no, you're not going to do that. But back to back to Spider back to Spider Man, who has a wonderful way of webs. Uh, it's a it's a bit of a role reversal here, isn't it? Role reversal. reversal. Um, Peter is on top while MJ is the loser. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I. I wanted to. I, I thought uh, they did a very good job making me want to slap Peter or shout at him several there, times. There were some. Like, Dude, t- stop! Yeah. Stop bringing up Spider Man. She just. She's trying to tell us she's had a crap day. I've. 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 It was accident- embarrassing. I've accidentally done that sometimes when I like as a, as a, as, a, as a kid as a teenager when I you know. Not my social skills weren't as developed. Sure, and you and yeah, you accidentally yeah. do that. We go, oh yeah, sorry to hear, but anyway, I've got something great with me, and it's like you don't do that. It's like you learn the hard way not to do that. But it, it's not even just like changing the subject to a good thing that's happened to you. It's this condescending. You just kind of get used to it, babe. I'm Spider Man. People say bad things about Spider Man all the time. <laughs> just kind of get used to it. I had to get used to it. I'm Spider Man. Like God damn it, kid! Uh, it's, it's maybe it's amazing. He's, he's, a, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a git even before the symbiote takes over. Well, he's not. I don't think he's, a, he's just he's just an idiot. And Peter yeah. Parker is in the comics historically an idiot, always saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing. Yeah, so that makes sense. yeah. Also, the whole uh, the whole theme. I think some of the theme of this is pride cometh before the fall. Absolutely, absolutely. There's it, massively here. I can't tell you how disturbing it is to see New York embrace Spider-Man. I don't like it. I'm nervous about it. I'm not a fan of it. You, you sound like J. Jonah um, Jameson then. I don't like New York embracing Spider-Man. I don't like it. Well, I, well just because it, it's not how it is. Spider-Man is a massive inconvenience for everyone <laughs> in their minds. That's how it, Spider-Man is uh, is the subway. He, he, you know, the subway is there, and I guess you need it, but it stinks, and it's always late, <laughs> and it just makes living here so much harder. And he's Spider Man is the traffic jams, like he's oh god damn it, it's just Spider Man's fighting another supervillain. I've got to get to work, you know that <laughs> that that should always be the public's 
relationship with Spider-Man uh, yeah. because it's so unique and interesting. It did. Um, so it always it, it makes you go, "Oh God, what's going to happen?" Everyone loves him. It, it did. It, it feel it feels not off tone, but kind of like it. It doesn't feel right. The same way. As like right at the end of Dark Knight Rises, they unveil that statue of Batman. That makes no sense. That, made that no makes sense no sense. To sense. That makes no sense. No sense. Okay, maybe yeah. maybe maybe put the bat signal up, you know, every now and again to remind. But the statue of Batman. How are they going to explain that? Oh yeah, well this guy wearing a mask used to punch people for us. Did you use tax dollars for that, Jim? Because <laughs> that's not cool. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah, I mean, I mean, at least, at least, it serves it serves a, a very big, important purpose in here. Like you say, it is all about, you know, it's about his ego and it's about pride. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I like that. And, and you can tell that's going to come in late with the symbiote. In fact, you don't even need, you don't even need the symbiote. Dare I say, to drive home nope. the, the, you don't. It's it, oh, the further we dig into this film, the more you discover that Venom was clearly not needed in this film. Yep. Yep. God. Also. Uh, obviously Sam Raimi's got a good comic timing Uh, before he kisses Gwen Stacy at the the Keys of the City ceremony they're going yeah Spider-Man and one kid just goes no Spider-Man no (laughs) just cracked me up (laughs) but not as much not as much as yet again Bruce Campbell cameoing in this film and this got pointed out years ago by a friend. He used to quote it all the time, where it's, it's just he's playing a maitre d' and he's explaining the plan to, to him, saying, like, oh, this is going to be my ring. Could, could, I'm going to propose to him my date. And he just goes, ah, romance. Well, I am French. <laughs> and it's just like, it's great. Only, that line can only work there. It can't, it can't oh, I don't know. It just, it's that kind of self-aware, this is a cheesy moment, this is a stupid character, but let's run with it and see what happens. And it was just... Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's quite as good as the, the, the snooty Usher, but it's, uh, it's still good. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I, 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 I don't know. I, I just... Anyway. So, we've said in other Spider-Man episodes that Peter and Mary Jane do get married in the comic books. Uh, how does Peter propose? I tell you what's really interesting. It, it, this all takes place during the Alien costume saga. <laughs> okay. Um, Pete, yeah. Pete and MJ's relationship finally getting to this point. Does I don't know if that was. Uh, I don't know if it was. You know, if they sat down and thought, well, we have to do. It's just very. I thought it was very interesting that they got towards this proposal. You know, story while the Alien symbiote thing is going on because that's how it is in the comic books as well. Mm. <clears throat> it's not like this. Um, Pete proposes several times and keeps getting shot down. Uh, for, for the third time, I will say, Pete Parker and Mary Jane's relationship in the comic books at this time period is so good. It is chock full of proper grown-up dilemmas and anxieties and um, mental baggage and emotional baggage. It's not just... The hero meets a pretty lady or finally gets the girl next door and they fall in love and get married. It, it, it is it is paying so much homage to the emotional ringer that Stan Lee put characters through. Um, MJ knows Peter is Spider-Man but doesn't tell him she knows. <laughs> and she gets so exhausted from him being in danger and never being around that after he proposes, she she just leaves New York. 
Aww. she finishes with him, leaves New York, breaks up. She kind of goes through some stuff. She comes back. She's kind of changed a little bit. And she tells Pete that she knows a secret. Ooh. Um, and, and she becomes this hugely important friend in his life, like his best friend. The only person that Peter Parker can talk to about being Spider-Man. But they're both dating other people, but they both love each other. But she refuses to let them be together because she refuses to get tangled up in his world of Spider-Man and all of that. Um, and, and, and Peter proposes to her for a second time after a friend of his dies. And, and Pete, there's this, there's this powerful bit where one of Pete's close friends is murdered. And Pete becomes really quite somber after this and, and and a bit bitter, even though it's never really fun to see Pete being bitter, but he he, he also talks it was mental monologue is going, you know, his brain monologue is going about how he doesn't want to be lonely anymore. He's like lonely all the time as an adult. And he's like, this just is horrible. And I want to be with this person. And so he proposes to, to Mary Jane. She turns him down again. <clears throat> There's this story where Mary Jane goes to visit her family. And she's got all these old emotional issues. That she has to settle with her mom about, not with her mom, with her sister. Um, stuff about her mom. And she has to have a, her father put in prison for trying to hurt her sister. Oof. It's it. There's like it's not like supervillain stuff. Pete is with her on the trip, supporting her as her best friend. And at the end of that, when she's like finally resolved these this emotional baggage from her awful childhood and resolved things about her family, she's finally able to say to Pete. I love you and, and I'll marry you. It, it's so adult. It's so grown up. It's so mature. It, 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 Marvel is the best. This is the most, like, it, it's kind of kitchen sink. It's kind of so. I'm not opera, allowed to read it. No, you're not. <laughs> uh, but, it, but, it, but it's so, like, it's so wrought with this maturity of, you know, these people were. Like, like Mary Jane helped him get through the the death of Gwen Stacy. Like she supported him through that, even though she kind of hates commitment and relationships, and she's kind of scared of being vulnerable because she was abused by her dad. And you know they don't like deal with that massively because it's because it's kind of still a kids comic at the time, but they really hint at it, and it's incredible, man. And 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 they 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 are close friends for a long time. In and out, and then bang, yeah. It's just, it blows me away. Mary Jane is such an underdone character in the cinematic world. It's it's criminal. It's criminal. I mean, you've either got, who did they have an amazing Spider-Man? Did they have Gwen Stacy? It was Gwen Stacy. Pl- yeah, it said Gwen. It just said Gwen. So MJ yeah. is either typical, uh, you know, love interest or sarcastic teenager. Yeah, and, and kind of... Sarcastic teenager at least has the kind of forthrightness, the fire of 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 comic book MJ. Yeah. I would say because comic book MJ is a force to be reckoned with, and she's like, I don't need any of you, I don't need any of you. <laughs> just I'm, I'm perfectly happy on my own. Yeah. So back to the film. Another force to be reckoned with soon. Hey. Flint Marco is still being chased by the police and ends up in an active particle testing facility where he. Oh, yeah, one of them. 
One of them. One of them where he accidentally falls into the middle of an experiment. Thinking he's just one of two, one or two birds, the scientists continue with the test and he is turned into living sand, becoming the Sandman. Even though this ordeal, even through this ordeal, Marco's intentions are to steal enough money for Penny to have the operation she needs. Spotting a bank car and using his powers, he attempts to steal the cash inside. Spider-Man manages to foil his plan, but Marco escapes. In the fight, a building is crushed, causing Gwen Stacy, a daughter of the police commissioner and the girl he kissed at the ceremony, to fall out of it. Spider-Man saves her life, though. Just your regular local active particle for testing facility. At least, though, I, I, I will say... At least this time, it's somewhere far away from a major population centre rather than in a basement or or an attic like the last film. Like in someone's converted attic in bloody Manhattan or wherever it was. It It was this this Airbnb. Dr. Optimus had this Airbnb that he rented and then he was going to use it to create a new sun. <laughs> exactly, and they go. Well, we're we're not doing that neutron stuff. We're just um, we're just doing active particles. Mm. Active. Pa- oh god, it's silly. Also, um, most of the scientists in that scene were total hotties. I thought it was supposed. To, I, I I couldn't take that seriously because they were all incredibly I attractive. I didn't spot that. It was such real. a B movie moment. Well, the, the the woman there was like, oh my god, she's a model. And one of the guys looked hot as well, and I was like, "This is weird. This is like a maybe, maybe you know, maybe it's just lockdown. You've just been inside for a, quite a bit too long, and you've not really been seeing many people. Maybe it's that standards have dropped." Uh, I will say though, I know it's 2007. I will say the sound, the sand. I was going to say the sound effects, but that's not like a cockney now. The sand effects, the sand effects were actually pretty good. I, I I liked them. loved them at the time, and I loved them on on the rewatching it. I would have been very happy watching as a short film, a totally silent animated feature about a sand person learning to walk. It was gorgeous. Yes, it was somber. The yep. bit with the necklace. Yeah. Before he has no form. It, it, man, yeah. let's get let's get let's get deep. <laughs> let's get deep, right? He, he, he has no form. He mm. is not a man. He's yep. not a man. The love of his child makes him a man. Yes. The love of his child brings form, brings reason for being in that scene. Very. I mean, you could say it's on the nose, but that's exactly what it is. That right? does sound like how you'd pitch it. The love of a child makes him a man. It is. It's, it's literally, he's a pile of nothing. Yeah. And then he remembers his daughter and he becomes a man. He, he, he finds purpose. Complete. I mean, that is obviously the subtext. But here, it is the science fiction... Uh, uh, what's the opposite of subtext? Overt text? Uh, he, he, text. He is... He is, yeah, text, good point, okay, fair enough, all right, all right, all right. I know words. It's amazing, it's incredible. I mean, I, I, I loved it. I really, 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 really loved that scene. It, it, it was good. It, it, it did have that kind of, even you know, the bits where he's falling over is something Pixar-y about it, you know what I mean? Where, where he's going for that kind of emotion. Mate, 
that's exactly what I was when I was saying this little short yeah. animated film. I yeah. really meant one of those Pixar. You know, they do quite, at the time they used to do those Pixar short, silent, oh, animated little yeah. movies. They were yeah. great. Did you see? Did you see the one for Incredibles two? Don't, I'm not sure. It was about the. I think she was. Well, no, sorry, I haven't seen Incredibles two, so I can be sure. No, I have not. Oh, there, there was a really nice one where this uh, Korean woman makes these little dumplings and treats the dumpling like her son, and the son starts misbehaving and then t- being a bit rebellious. Then she just eats it, and then and then she starts crying, and it turns oh, out gosh, that, that, that the, the real son it is, is her coping with a lot with her real son who ah. sort of moved out. But then the real son sort of comes back to the girlfriend, and it was such a it was really heartwarming. Well, you know, you know why we both made that association with Pixar It's because what Pixar do mm. is take kind of inanimate objects things and make you feel for them and instill humanity into them and that's what's being done with sandman isn't it it's yeah. kind of an it's not a real thing but we're we're kind of imbuing it with with humanity all i could all i could think that was a thing that always made me laugh on crack.com said oh yeah um pixar movies are really good because they take you know, really complicated themes about humanity and instill them on inanimate objects uh, like this while uh, dreamworks films just take animals and get them to do this and they're all doing like one eyebrow raised at the camera like that, and they're just posing, and it's like, yes, that's what DreamWorks films are. <laughs> they're just silly rubbish compared to Pixar. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Anyway, um, also weird seeing Bryce Dallas Howard with blonde hair because I didn't realise mm, that was yeah. her because I'm used to her from Jurassic World in the episode of Black Mirror, and it's like, oh my god, she's got blonde hair. This is weird. Uh, and also James Cromwell. In this film, for probably all of sixty seconds, always great to see James Cromwell. It, it felt like if you're a fan of the comic books, mm. Captain Stacy is a very important character. So it felt okay. like some foreshadowing, setting something up for the for the next one. Um, that and would that would have been great because he's a great, great actor. Yes, um, yes. In, in in what would have been a nice role and a very important role. But there you go. Sadly. Also, the line that uh, Eddie Brock says, he goes explaining why she's up there. Oh, and I'm dating your daughter. <laughs> that was, That's really funny. That was just really funny. perfect. So what can you tell us about Sandman then? Does he get his powers from stumbling across an active particle testing facility located in New York? Um, <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> You're gonna like this one. I'm gonna like this. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's a Sam was introduced by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko in 1963. Mm. Uh, crops up in in the very the fourth one of the earliest issues, the fourth issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Um, he has the Radioactive Man origin. He Sam <laughs> is where the Radioactive Man origin comes from. Okay, so the radioactive man origin. Do you remember it? He, uh, I, I thought radioactive origin was similar to the Incredible Hulk. He, mm. Well, he basically radioactive origin uh, from no. radio, radioactive issue number one is he uh, he gets caught. He gets his trousers snagged on a nuclear test site, isn't it? On a barbed wire fence. Barbed wire fence near an A bomb. Yeah, choke. Yeah, that's that's... A bomb. Right, that's Sandman. Oh. <laughs> so he's. He's he escapes prison and he's on the run and he runs into this like nuclear testing site because he's like no one will follow me in here, <laughs> the cops won't come anywhere near here, and it's like in the desert and he's crawling under barbed wire, 
and the barbed wire snags his clothing and he can't get free or clear and then the nuclear bomb or test or whatever goes off while he's face down in the sand and he gets irradiated with radioactivity because it's Stan Lee in the 60s and he merges with the sand and he gets sand powers what's um, um can i can i just say like <clears throat> even if he did snag himself free he would probably still have succumbed to the blast of the a bomb or whatever it was um cuz it take the- i don't know be, be, no because they build in these things like um fallout shelters and uh, okay all that kind of stuff you know where you could just drop drop down and be fine oh yeah the <laughs> old know, the old duck and cover method because yeah, apparently alpha yeah. and beta radiation doesn't a exist big ditch yeah big ditch. well that's why um that's why rick jones is fine in the uh the incredible hulk origin because bruce banner runs out there grabs this kid playing his harmonica in a nuclear testing site a gamma testing site sorry mm. shoves him into a ditch mm. but it's a, it's a purpose-built ditch to avoid the Radiation. See that actually, um, that would work with gamma radiation because gamma radiation is all about coming at your rays, yeah. coming at you like Cleopatra. Yeah, like Cleopatra. Um, damn right. So, so the Sandman, uh, for reasons that are best left unexplained, attacks Peter Parker's high school. Okay. And uh, how do you think Spider-Man beat? I mean, first of all, it's a bit suspicious. Someone attacks a high school, and then Spider-Man shows up. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to work out. Spider-Man probably goes to that school. Um, <laughs> how do you how do you think Spider-Man defeats Sandman in his first appearance in their first fight? He puts him in a cat litter tray, the biggest one ever Ooh. made. Um, you're very close. It's 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 kind of that stupid, Will. Oh God, what does he do? Hourglass? Sucks him up with a hoover. No. Sucks him up with a hoover. So he, he traps him in, like, behind the, behind the door and locks the door and is like, ha ha, Sandman, you can't get me. I locked the door. And Sandman's like, hey, kid, you don't know who you're messing with. I'm the Shand Man. I'll turn into Shand and I'll come at you underneath the crack in the door. And Sandman turns himself in the sand and he, like, starts seeping under the, the crack in the door. And Spider-Man's on the other side of the door. He's got a hoover. And he's going... <laughs> just hoovering up all the sand as it comes through the crack in the door. And then, I'm uh, not making any of this up, he hands the hoover bag to the police. And it's like, there you go, officer. There's a man in that made of sand. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like an episode and of that's the end. That's the end of one of Spider-Man's most dangerous villains. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's... Um, he 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 comes back, you know, less silly than that. Yeah, uh, he becomes a a founding member of the original Sinister Six, the greatest supervillain team. Not that there are that many of them. Um, and then he stops being a Spider-Man villain for a while, and he becomes a Fantastic Four villain, and he joins the the Frightful Four, who are big enemies of the Fantastic Four, and. He he does this he so we talked about Hydro Man very briefly. Um, Hydro Man's in the animated series, mm. and a version of him, I think, sort of. Well, not really a version of him, but something that looks a lot like him appears in Far From Home, a big water monster. Yes, yes, yes. 
Yeah. Um, there's a period of time where Sandman and Hydro Man, who are working together, they get merged and become something called Mud Thing, who's like a because they're yeah their 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 powers, their physical essences get merged and become mud, but also like their brains get their psyches get like shattered and they become they're both quite deranged and animalistic and they because they like it's it's really hor- it's presented as being really horrified to be kind of merged with another person, um, and after that experience. Flint Marco is like, I might need to rethink my decisions in life. <laughs> Maybe I'm not being the best I can be and doing, you know, living the life I want. And then he kind of he bumps into the thing, like in in a non-fighting capacity. The thing doesn't kind of fight him, but yeah. Ben convinces uh, Flint Marco to change his life and reform. Okay, and he does. He 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 finishes a jail sentence, and then he starts helping Spider Man. He saves him a couple of times. He works with there's a, a Spider Man supporting cast member, well, sort of part of the Spider Man world as a mercenary called Silver Sable, and she has this this team of like mercenaries for hire, but they're for hire to like the CIA and Interpol, and they do good stuff. Mm. And he joins them for a while. He joins a group of reformed Spider-Man villains who are called the Outlaws. As a kid, I freaking loved the Outlaws. They don't make many appearances. Mm. Uh, Eric, I think Eric Larson was drawing the comic book at the time, Amazing Spider-Man, so they looked gorgeous. I just thought it was a really cool idea. Um, And he even, Sandman even becomes an Avenger. Oh. He becomes a reserve Avenger. And I must admit, at the time in the 90s, there were quite a lot of reserve Avengers. Sounds like honorary Avenger. Like, like they just sat on a badge and say, hey. It's kind of like if if the world's about to end and we've got absolutely no one else to call, we'll, we'll give you a call. But he's got some <laughs> sort of status there. He does something with them. And then he starts to flip-flop um, from, the, from the late 90s onwards and kind of goes from good to bad a few times. Um after this movie comes out, they do introduce the idea of Flint having a sick daughter and mm. that motivating him to commit crimes. And he and he then does start to they make him this 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 kind of character he is here in his movie. And that, that does actually fit his kind of sympathetic, thoughtful humanity that he's he's kind of had since that Roy Thomas issue in seventy two. Yeah, that does fit. I like. So anyway. About a day later, Peter and Aunt May visit the police station where they are told Uncle Ben's real killer was Flint Marco and that the original killer was merely an accomplice. Recognising the mugshot of Marco as the Sandman, Peter swears revenge. So this <laughs> twist felt very much like 1989 Batman. Yeah, I, 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 I very much agree Um and I didn't like that twist in 1989 Batman. I didn't think it suited Batman. Um, I don't think it suits Batman to know who the killer is, personally. Um, mm. But, yeah, I think you're right. So, is this the twist they took from the comic books? Because I can't believe that. I, I, I believe this was entirely invented for the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, I it, so. it was... Um, 
the, Uncle Ben's killer is really only ever known as the burglar. <laughs> um, the burglar. They don't. They don't. Yeah, they don't put any time or effort into solving it or to. What if that was his supervillain name? Yeah. <laughs> you can't catch me for I am the burglar. The burglar. He's going to steal your DVD player. <laughs> And here comes my assistant, the thief. Um, yeah, the, 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 there's a really... Uh, is it worth doing this? There's a really weird story that comes out the same year as this movie, and it feels like uh, an attempt to tie in to the movie, but not really, because that's impossible, because they'd have to change Spider-Man's whole history, and they won't do that, and it totally fails it's in a, a comic book called Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man 2007. Sandman goes to Spider-Man and asks for his help because Sandman's dad has been accused of murder. Mm. And Sandman is like, oh, my dad is a criminal, but he's like a petty criminal. He is not a murderer. He did not do this. And then Spider-Man like, starts to help him and goes, hey, that murder victim looks exactly like my Uncle Ben. Did Sandman's dad kill my uncle? Um, <laughs> you can see how this feels like a really weird attempt to do this movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it turns out that the Hobgoblin from a different re- alternate reality kidnapped an alternate reality version of Uncle Ben, brought him to the regular Marvel 616 universe where alternate Uncle Ben was killed by an alternate reality chameleon another Spider-Man villain, who at the time was using his chameleon powers to pose as the Sandman's father. Oh, God. Perfectly clear and simple storytelling that, you know, it just makes sense, doesn't it? It just makes sense. (laughs) Indeed. So, in his sleep, Peter has a nightmare about how Uncle Ben died, while the black alien symbiote, which is now in his apartment room, bonds with him when it senses his intense emotions. Peter awakes to find that he's clinging to the side of a building wearing a new black suit. The next day, he visits his professor, he visits his science professor, Kurt Connors, to find out what it is made of. Dr. Connors tells him that it is a symbiote which needs to bond to a host to survive and warns Peter to avoid it since it can have negative effects on the host. Um... Probably good. You probably could explain this later. Is Kurt Connors the reptile lizard? The who, mate? The lizard. <laughs> the reptile. I'm thinking of more combat. <laughs> Stop it. Yes, Kurt Connors is is the lizard. Yeah, he's got one arm. Do you, yeah, did he have one arm in this? I forgot. Yeah. Oh, he did. Yeah, he's in Spider-Man Two as well. Right. So they were actually going to plan to set him up as the lizard. I don't know. It, it feels like. It feels like it because he's in two movies. Yeah, they were also planning to do the Vulture in the next one. So I don't know. Maybe they're just kind of really expanding the universe. You've got Captain Gwen Stacy, and yeah, it's true. true. Originally, Eddie Brock in this movie was just going to be Eddie Brock. He wasn't going to be Venom. So maybe they were just laying all the laying all the groundworks for the next two movies. That makes sense. Yeah, Kurt Connors, the the reptile Kurt Connors. (laughs) Yeah. 
I love how the story, uh, you know, has been focusing on all this melodrama with MJ and Peter finding out about his uncle's killer mm. and Marco Flint becomes Sandman and, you know, all this stuff with Harry and all this. And then in the meantime, we forget there's an alien life form living in Peter's flat. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, by the way, there is a suspicious blob from a meteor that's crawling it's- in his flat. It's a full hour into the movie. Oh, no. <laughs> it just feels so wrong. As much as I did enjoy this, this this is the this is the glaring element of the movie is Venom. I, I, I'm coming back to it. It's just it, it, this is the point where I go. This has definitely been been crowbarred in because this is very bad storytelling. Uh, yeah. I, I, well, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's. I don't think it's. It strikes me as being. Bad storytelling. It it feels disjointed. Yeah, it doesn't feel I, like I, it I, fits. I, Maybe that is bad storytelling. See, it just doesn't. Yeah, you. You're about, right. It doesn't feel like it fits say, at all. It comes under the umbrella of bad storytelling if it's disjointed. Yeah. Yeah, you are right. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's not like oh, I hate it rather than I don't like it. It's. It's like yeah, it feels doesn't doesn't feel right. Yeah. It's it's a shame. It's it's a real shame because there's so much good in this movie, and this sort of tips the balance. Uh, also, uh, back to Doctor Connors. Um, why isn't he treating this more seriously? Like he's found an alien. Yeah. <laughs> he found an alien, right? That's what I he found says. an alien inside the media. Could you have a look and at he, it, please, he... Doctor Connors? And he doesn't. It's not like it's not like calling people. Yes, proof of alien life isn't a big deal. It's, it's like, and then later, and he the, lets Peter keep it at home. Yeah, he lets, and they just put it in a glass thing. It's ah, I'll be right there. Or oh, by the way, Peter. Yeah. By the way, Peter, could you please not touch? Why it? is he? Why is he Geordie? Why is Kurt Connors a Geordie? Because <laughs> when did Ross Noble start to play the rep the reptile? I don't know. Every every, every time I do like a like a mick take of these things, I keep thinking of Vic and Bob, and they do they always do little Geordie accents. Oh no! Okay, it's it's just like that. So it's like that 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 felt made it feel really like more unbelievable, and it just I don't know. I was just laughing at that. Bit. It's, it, it, it it does feel a little bit like they haven't uh, just they kind of either didn't have the time or yeah. they didn't want to work out all of the the kinks in the plot. But basically, Doctor Connors is there to explain what it is, and yeah. they could have done this a different because way. they. They can't do Reed Richards because yeah, that's who they, does it in the comic books. Yeah, or they they, they can't say like maybe another one. Like I don't know. There there is no there is no way of it, way way of, uh, explaining it without I don't know making it a bit more weird. Uh, also, when um when when he starts bonding with the host, uh, Peter Parker turns into a bit of an emo, doesn't he? Not not just not just in this bit, but yeah, yeah. a little bit later on he does. I'll, yeah. I'll talk, I'll talk, I'll talk a bit. A bit, a bit save that till we get to it. Yeah. So, how does Spider Man first encounter the symbiote on the uh, battle planet or war world? Battle or, world. Don't make or, it sound or, silly. It's it is battle it's world. Battle world. <laughs> Sounds like a PlayStation One game that went straight to the charity bin. Um. Well, obviously, we've got the deep dive on Secret Wars coming on in in the bonus full length episode Indeed. on Patreon. Uh, Secret Wars goes on for a full year. Um, 
the heroes are constantly battling against amazingly powerful villains. Galactus and Doctor Doom and Ultron mm. all on the same side. Uh, it's, it's, it's insane. They also have a complete lack of resources. Pete has to sacrifice his web shooters so Reed Richards can build stuff to keep Iron Man's armour working. Uh, because, uh, little spoiler alert, Iron Man isn't Tony Stark in Secret Wars. <laughs> um, he So he can't do the genius fix of things. Oh. So Spider-Man, Spider-Man has no webs. Um, they're all exhausted. And after battle after battle, Pete's costume, all their costumes are ripped and torn. And he's in this this like abandoned headquarters, you know, abandoned fortress they're using as their place to live in their headquarters. And he sees Hulk and Thor wearing brand new, clean costumes. And they mm. tell him that in that room over there that we've just come for, there's a machine, an alien machine that can make any kind of clothing you want. It makes what you think of. So Spider oh, yeah. goes into the room, and he looks at all these alien machines that he doesn't understand. And he finds the one he thinks makes clothes, and he presses a button. <laughs> and out comes this black substance that starts covering his body. And he thinks it's how the machine makes clothes. So mm. it becomes a new black and white costume. And Pete thinks to himself initially, why isn't it red and blue, like what I wanted, but figures he must have been thinking about the new Spider-Woman he's just messed who has this costume that looks exactly the same, jet black with a white spider. Yeah. Spider-Man, this is this is a costume. There's no... It, 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 the suit is amazing. Okay, so the suit is amazing because it responds to his thoughts. If he wants it to take it off, it'll, it'll fall off him. If he wants the trousers to become a pair of shorts, it'll do that. If he wants short sleeves, it'll do that. Um... And also, he doesn't need web shooters anymore because, out of the on instead of the the underside of the wrist on the top of the hand, mm. the the costume will produce webs whenever he thinks about it. Wow. There's no hint at all that this is an alien creature. <laughs> Symbiote is not used. This is a cool new costume from an alien tailor <laughs> that gives Spider Man. Like a power upgrade, mm. um, so that's how he the fir- the way he first meets the symbiote is he doesn't know it's a symbiote. He thinks it's a suit that he's putting on. I I like and that. That's how that works. Yeah, I like I like that twist because because you you just think ah it's it's super high tech moisture clothing, it's yeah. it's liquid trousers. <laughs> and then it turns up. Yeah, and, 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 and let's not forget that, you know, unstable molecules do exist in, in the Marvel Universe. He knows what the Fantastic Four's costumes are mm. made of. Exactly. So you don't um, you, you just assume of, it's that. Yeah. Yeah, you, you yeah. Yes, that's what you assume. So back to back to the film. So ignoring the vice it advice about the uh, about the negative effects of the symbiote, Peter finds Marco on the street and they end up fighting. The brawl moves to the sewer systems underneath New York. Peter's new black suit is not just increasing his strength, but he seems to be more angry and driven. Knowing that water seems to destroy the Sandman's body, Peter breaks a water pipe and floods the tunnels, turning Sandman into mud while sweeping him out to sea, seemingly killing him. I have to say, 
it's a pretty ridiculous weakness because moisture's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's necessarily like a cup of water. Yeah, <clears throat> I think it's you know. Uh, uh, but who knows? It might. It might be rain. But you know, that's you know, he is Sandman. There's no getting around that. Water is the the very first thing you'll try to defeat him. Yeah, indeed. There you go. So, did we just see Spider-Man essentially make his first kill? I mean, has he ever done like that in the it, comics? Because I don't think Spider-Man kills. I know like, there's a thing about superheroes killing, and they can't do it because of rules. But like, Spider-Man would be someone I don't because expect. Of rules. Because of basic... No. Listen, do you not kill people because of rules, Will? They're bad people. No. They're bad people. You don't kill people because of because of basic decency, ethics, humanity, morality. Jesus. <laughs> I, should have, I should have expected this for you. You're an anti-hero lover. I know this about you. Yes. You're a bad person. You're a Tarantino fan and an anti-hero lover. You're not. Not for me. Yeah. Um, Spidey's never killed anyone on purpose Mm. but yeah several times over the years like uh, he's dodged something and the bad guy gets hit by whatever the something was and dies that happens quite a lot like you know like that's how that's how Norman Osborn dies (laughs) yeah oh yeah yeah because of the glider and then yeah he becomes Um, a shish kebab I mean technically he kills Gwen Stacy Oh yes, you told me about this. Because the 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 the, the force required to stop someone plummeting to their death, you know, it snaps her neck. Oh um, yes. There is the weirdest one. There's a KGB a KGB agent once committed suicide by sneaking up on Spider Man from behind, surprising him, <laughs> and Spider Man punched her to death. Um, yeah so uh, there's a story where Wolverine and Spider-Man are kind of uh, working together and they're always always at odds like Wolverine kind of hates at various times like unless you've got super fun Spidey which you get later on teaming with Wolverine that's kind of really fun but they have this they're massively at odds Um, Wolverine kind of really hates Spider-Man's jokey nature and not taking things too seriously seemingly he doesn't think he takes them too seriously and mm. and uh, spider-man hates that wolverine kills um and doesn't find that to be heroic so they're always at odds working together wolverine through his past as a you know secret agent has a has a has a past with this kgb agent called charlemagne charlie and I forget, some, for some reason, Charlie wants to kill herself and she tries to get Wolverine to kill her. And Wolverine kind of like is reluctant to it, but looks like he's going to. And then Spider-Man and Wolverine get to this massive fight, physical drag-out fight. Because Spider-Man is like, what the hell do you think you're doing? She needs help. And I forget the circumstances, but it's something like, oh, she can't be helped. She has to, you know... This has to happen. And they mm. get into this massive, massive fight, and it is exhausting for both of them. And Charlemagne, in her th- thought bubbles, as this fight gets to a point where they're both at the brink of exhaustion, goes, I know how to kill myself if Wolverine's not going to stab me. 
I shall sneak up upon the Spider-Man, who has those wonderful spider senses to warn him of danger, and he will react. And basically, Spider-Man assumes it's Wolverine attacking him from behind because he's been fighting him for hours and he just, without looking, turns around and punches with full Spider-Man strength this woman in the face and kills her. Uh, but that was Charlemagne's intention. She wanted to... Like Death by Cop. That's what she yeah, wanted. Yeah, Death by Cop, yeah. Um, but it's <laughs> insane. And it doesn't get mentioned very often because it's madness. That, that's, that's, that's how I want to go. Punched in the face by Spider-Man. <laughs> he died yeah. the way he lived being punched in the face by Spider-Man wow okay that is very odd so back at home feeling she can no longer turn to Peter with her problems NJ starts spending time with Harry and confiding in him they make an omelette together and then kiss racked with guilt Harry begins drinking and starts regaining his memories and his hatred of Peter hallucinating Harry sees in his visions of Norman Osborn, telling him to attack Spider-Man's heart. This love triangle story is way better than the alien symbiote blob that just deus ex mechanid out of nowhere. <laughs> Don't eyebrow what? me. I'm using that as a verb. For God's sake. <laughs> it's... I, 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 it's what? It's what? It's what? It's what? How is it? How is it? How is it a do-sex machina? It's blob from the machine. <laughs> My God, have you got? Have you got a question? <laughs> I can't do this. This is the angriest I've ever seen you. <laughs> I just say this: this love story is way better. This is this is this whole love story is the heart of the film, isn't it? Everything, and, and you just you could just shave off this. I, I don't want to keep going on about. It. You could just shave off this bit, and this love story is 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 good enough. The, it, it's such a grown-up... It's not like there was a misunderstanding. Oh, he, it's not like... You know what I mean? It's not like he cheated or... It, it, it's such a grown-up kind of... Yeah, he, he kind of kisses that girl, right? But mm. that isn't portrayed as cheating, right? Yeah. It's portrayed as being really insulting and really like, deeply thoughtless. But the main thrust of this kind of like reason they're breaking up and having all these problems is that... He, he, like he's so wrapped up in himself. He's completely thoughtless towards Mary Jane. Yeah, and she's so lonely. And the one person she has to confide in and talk to, like even when he's there, he doesn't listen because he's so wrapped up in himself. And that could be anyone with like an engaging job or an important job or a consuming job. Um, it's a great, it's a great grown-up, mature. You know, roller coaster to have in what what you might dismiss as a toy advert, you know, a toy commercial. <laughs> I think Some it. Would. I think it does a really good job of not being that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, indeed. Does this uh, love triangle exist in the comic books? Because I think you mentioned something before. Like not really, uh, not really a, a triangle, but there is a there is there is when when Pete first meets Harry, Gwen, and and Mary Jane. Uh, Harry and MJ quickly become a couple. Mm. In the 1960s, Harry and MJ are, are, are peas in a pod. They're, they're, they're both party animals, and they're both they're both massively damaged people, partying yeah. 
to try and escape the misery of their childhood and the misery of their families. Uh, and they're off being adults for the first time, allegedly, you know, teenage adults. They have tons in, in, in common. Harry's the rich kid blowing through his trust fund. MJ is this force of nature that never wants to stop partying because she kind of knows in the back of her mind when she stops partying, everything is going to hurt and she'll have to actually think about things and deal with her terrible life. Mm. Um, so they have, you know, like like a relationship of convenience, like a, you know, like a teenage or an early adult, those kind of relationships you have between the ages of, I don't know, whenever you became sort of an adult, 18 to 25, yeah. where it's just, or maybe even 28, where it's just kind of like, you know, no one thinks this is kind of going to go anywhere. Uh, this is immense fun. But then it all starts to get a bit serious. You know, uh, mm. Harry's dad starts to have mental breakdowns to do with the Green Goblin. Harry gets addicted to pills. And MJ, at the time, does not do anything serious. She wants no part of an actual relationship. So she just dumps Harry and leaves him and just, you know, get, gets rid. Um, they They do get back together. Um, after Harry cleans up and gets sober mm. but once Harry's dad dies he begins to obsess over Spider-Man and, mm. and Gwen Stacy's died once Gwen Stacy's died the whole friendship group kind of is fractured and then Norman dies uh, and Harry obsesses about it and he basically like chases Mary Jane away and you know that's kind of when her and Pete start getting together um, so yeah there definitely is and even when so I shouldn't, shouldn't say there's not a, a, a love triangle because even when MJ is with Harry, it's and even and, and and Pete is with Gwen Stacy. It's written that there is this huge attraction and connection between Pete and Mary Jane, um, but Mary Jane's never was never intended to be Pete's girlfriend. It that just she was only intended to be the party girl. Yeah. Um, it just kind of the the fans made it happen because they they just adored Mary Jane so much. Indeed, indeed. It, it's this is the, this is the thing though. It's like she sounds like a sort of a breakout character, and so completely, yeah, yeah. yeah and and it's like, oh well, might as well get them two together then because they're the two most popular ones. Yeah, it's as simple as. So MJ returns to her apartment only to be attacked by Harry in his goblin suit. Harry slams Mary Jane against a wall and tells her that if she wants Peter to live, she has to do as he says. As Harry watches from the shadows, MJ breaks up with Peter, telling him that she's lonely and he's never there for her. Harry then meets Pete in a coffee shop and tells him that MJ had an affair with him and that he's the other guy. Bad news turns to worse as Eddie Brock is getting rewarded with the staff job as at the Bugle for taking a picture of Spider-Man committing a crime. At his lowest ebb, Pete starts wearing a black suit, giving a huge confidence boost. Pete confronts Brock with evidence that his pictures have been photoshopped. Eddie begs Pete not to expose him, saying he'll be utterly ruined and no one will ever hire him. Influenced by the black suit, Pete exposes Eddie anyway and gets him fired. I like the black suit. I I, 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 <laughs> I liked it. And also him strutting down the street and dancing was hilarious. <laughs> And was meme. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really really made fun of at the time, as being as being really stupid and dumb. And I don't I don't know. I mean, it's hard. I I I feel 
that it, it didn't work as well as the funny montage, the funny raindrops montage from Spider-Man 2. Yeah, I like that, yeah. This is obviously what it's meant to be. It's meant to be the like levity moment of a montage with some fun kind of music, and it's really it's a really nice little funny couple of minute long thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 all I see is I, I've been in that position before, where you just had all this bad stuff happen. You end up in a breakup, and then other stuff happens, and then you go, "No, I'm going to get back on my feet, strut down the street," and then you have that weird burst of positive energy. That gets towards yeah. ego bulging, and it's like, and it, you you know you know that's too much pride. It's like a pride overload. I I can't relate to that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm really wishing I could. I'm really wishing I could. I was about to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I was like, no, I don't think I've ever. I just feel miserable. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you have, the thing is, you have the miserable. Then you have this little overload when you, when you find something to make you happy. And then, oh, that's where I'm going wrong. And then it's then it comes back later. Then the misery comes back because you fooled right. everyone. You fooled yourself into thinking you're happy for a bit. And I've been there, and it's not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, is he supposed to be a kind of emo as well? Because he sort of has the emo hair and almost looks like I, I can't think he's wearing but- eyeliner. But he's not. It, it, it seems to. It seems. It very much seems to be. The hair seems to suggest that. I don't know. I mean, I don't. How much of that is a stylist choice rather than a storytelling choice? I don't really think it means much. Yeah. So, but if we go to Eddie Brock, so being exposed as faking his photos, did that happen in the comics? I mean, did they? Did was there ever a point where he had to expose him as a fraud? So, Sort of, but, but not, not really. really. Two, wow. Um, Pete and Eddie never worked together. They were never rivals. Yeah. Eddie Brock wasn't a photographer, but he was a journalist at the Daily Globe. The Daily Globe is like the Daily Bugle's rival in in the Marvel Universe in Manhattan. Um, mm. There was a, a vigilante serial killer. Ooh. Called the Sin Eater, and the Sin Eater uh, had a very specific. We, we can't get into the Sin Eater storyline just now, but he was he was it was a long it was a long running storyline in Spider Man, um, and and, and Spider Man caught the Sin Eater mm. and resolved that story. When they introduce Eddie Brock years later. They come up with this kind of flashback storytelling of his origin. Why does Eddie Brock hate Spider-Man? Mm. So Brock, as a journalist, an investigative journalist for the Daily Globe, published a story exposing the identity of the Sin Eater. And he had the guy who confessed to be the Sin Eater. And it was lauded with fame and praise. And it was like, Eddie Brock has done it. And then Spider-Man stops the real Sin Eater, catches him in the act, in action. Um, Eddie Brock has been taken in by, you know, an unhinged, crazy glory hound who's addicted to confessing to crimes he's never committed. Mm. And Eddie Brock's... The scandal ruins his career. He's fired from the Daily Globe. He starts drinking. He becomes kind of an alcoholic. He becomes depressed. And... That's what this little plot point is alluding to, right? That, okay. that Pete does. Well, Pete's never met him. 
in the comic books, he has no idea that his actions of stopping a serial killer did this, had this knock-on effect. Um, but they weave... They, this is part of that really brilliant... Honestly, the birth of Venom is so clever at weaving this new character into a couple of past famous storylines. It's not just the symbiote, but they weave Eddie Brock into the Sin Eater storyline, which is a, a big famous storyline in, in, in Spider-Man. And they kind of they kind of say... You know, this is the thread going through. This is why. Right, okay. Eddie Brock had his life completely torpedoed and ruined by, in his mind, Spider-Man. Which is why he has this overwhelming hatred for him. Because of his depression and his booze and all of that. Booze will do that. Booze will do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, leave, leave booze out of it. I know. Booze is fine. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I, hey, kids. Speaking. Take a drink. Speaking. Take a drink today. Go on. <laughs> speaking of that. Your parents won't mind. Low moment, the, the high, then the low. Yeah, I know all about that. So, Peter figures out that Harry set up Mary Jane and fights Harry while enraged. Harry, Harry stabs Pete and attacks him with his goblin glider, but Pete beats Harry easily. Peter then starts taunting Harry, telling him that Norman never loved Harry and he was an embarrassment to his father. The fight ends with Peter throwing Harry's own pumpkin bomb back at Harry, blowing it up in his face. Oh, This version of Peter is really vicious, isn't he? Like, yeah, it's brutal. Is this how, how corrupt it makes him in the comic books? The symbiote? Yeah, the symbiote, yeah. No. Oh, okay. It, it, doesn't, ha- it doesn't happen. Oh, the symbiote does not corrupt Peter in any way. Um, and yet, in every storyline told about this story, if that makes sense, every adaptation, every retelling, that's what happens. In in, in the comic books, mm. it isn't this, this this thing of this alien creature starts to starts to corrupt Pete and make him aggressive and and, and make him egotistical. Mm. That's not a part of it. We, you're reading the story. You have no idea it's an alien creature, right? What happens is, Spider-Man goes to Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four, and he says, "You know, this bit slightly. I, I, you know, I, I thought I saw it moving. I thought I saw the costume. <laughs> I might have been imagining it, but I put it on the on the chair when I went to bed, and then the next morning when I woke up, I, I thought I, I thought I saw it moving." And I realised, Mr. Reed Richards, don't really know much about this alien uh, <laughs> suit of mine. Can you take a look at it? And Reed Richards takes a look at it and he goes, Ooh, hoo, 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 hoo. this is a very bad situation. Um, computer and locked quarantine mode on the, on the lab. <laughs> He's like, why? What's going on? He's like, um, that's not a costume. That's a parasite. It's it's feeding off you. It's It's attached itself to your body. And it's feeding on you. <laughs> and it's like, it's completely gross. To this. Peter's disgusted. He's terrified. He's like really weirded out, disgusted by it. And he desperately wants to get it off him. So he's like, that's why he, he gets rid of it. Not because it's corrupting him mm. and changing his mind, but because it's disgusting. Yeah. It's it's like it's like a slug, a living slug that you're wearing. Or, or, or a leech that it's leeching off you. And you're, you know... Um, and what 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 they work out and what you see is that it has been doing something to Pete, but it hasn't been like controlling. Well, it has been controlling him. Yeah. Basically, 
when Pete's been fast asleep, the costume has been putting itself on him and then taking him out of bed <laughs> while he's asleep, jumping out the window and swinging around the city being Spider-Man while Pete inside is fast asleep. <laughs> And then it's been, you know, going back and putting him back in bed and then slipping off and going back on the chair where he left him. I'm surprised he even needs so, Pete in there. I mean, he'd, he'd get a lot more done without a body in there. Well, no, he's got no, he's got no, he's got no density. He's got no strength. Yeah, he could, he could float through the air, though. Just a bit of cloth. What good is that? Also, it needs to feed off. It needs to uh, feed yeah, off a host. Okay, feeding, there we go, yeah. There is something about it that says that... Basically, the word symbiote is the wrong word to use. Mm. Uh, it's a parasite. Parasites is feeding it off. Tri- it, it, it tricks. The idea is that it tricks the host into thinking it's a symbiote. But that's downplayed as they made dreadful changes to Venom. Um, all of this... So it doesn't influence him, doesn't change his personality, doesn't corrupt him and make him dark or arrogant or violent. All of that, Will, mm. comes from the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. Ah, there we go. All of that. When they did these three episodes on on the on the symbiote saga, they they brought they did instead of having like um, this four year gap between the symbiote story and Venom appearing, they do it all in three episodes, bang up top. And so to kind of create the 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 the, the thread of what the symbiote is and how it becomes Venom, they create this idea that. Pete, when he's wearing the black costume in the cartoon, becomes really arrogant, acts like he doesn't need his supporting cast members, you know, you know, his friends and family, hurts his loved ones, becomes really aggressive as Spider-Man. I rewatched it in preparation for this. For a kid's cartoon, that cartoon black suit Spider-Man becomes a yelling, screaming psychopath. Ooh. Like yelling like criminals I will hunt you down until the end of your day like it's really you know it's not excessive violence it's not you know stuff like that because he doesn't do that in fact one of the things he does to prove how violent or aggressive he is is he plants the rhino <laughs> horn first in the ground and spins him round really fast <laughs> um, but but beyond beyond that kind of that's a bit of silliness beyond that it he 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 does he does a really good job of presenting this kind of arrogant, egotistical, aggressive Spider-Man, which mm. ha- was not the case in the comic books. It was just gross that his clothes turned out to be a parasite sucking, you know, stuff out of him. Yeah, I mean, I I I I, I like I like that that just that element of yeah, but it's gross, mate. There's no mystical element. It's just gross. Yeah, it's just disgusting. It's disgusting. Yeah. And and you know I didn't consent to be up in the middle of the night. No wonder I was so tired when I woke up. This, my body ached when I woke up this morning. That, that must have been a weird sensation. That must have been a very. I was, going for, I was out running around and jumping and hitting people. Yeah. And what else have I done while I wasn't aware of it? <laughs> but then, but anyway, back to the story. Peter gets even more dark when he takes Gwen Stacy on a date to spite Mary Jane. Eddie is furious with Peter for causing him to lose his job. And second, uh, so, sorry, Peter, Peter, sorry, Eddie is furious with Peter for first causing him to lose a job and second taking his girlfriend Gwen Stacy on a date. He goes to his local church where he prays for God to kill Peter Parker. So Ooh. it's a bit, I mean, you've you got to really anger someone for them to do that. 
I will say, yeah. taking Gwen Stacy to MJ's place of work on a date, what a horrible thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all I, really was. All I could that think of be- is, um, what's that character from Cheers? Um, Nick Tortelli. That's the thing that Nick Tortelli <laughs> would do. All I could see was Nick Tortelli in that moment. Like, Carla, huh? That being said, if I thought, I mean, um, if, I, if, you, if, you, if you didn't know that the ex broke up with you, if you thought the ex broke up with you on purpose, yeah. eh, I, I, I might have done that. <laughs> I, I've definitely done things to try and make certain people jealous or be like, you know, have a bit of this then, hey? How dare you? Yeah. But, yeah, yeah I, I think Pete at this stage kind of does know no, no, he doesn't. He doesn't know that. Um, he doesn't know that Harry kind of like forced Mary Jane to do anything, does he? No, no. He thinks it's just an affair. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can see people. I, I, I don't have, I don't have much of an issue with that. Oh, fine. And suddenly, <laughs> I'm a monster because I'm okay with Spider-Man killing people. <laughs> it's very, it's very different. No, it's the same. <laughs> okay. Okay. Also, that bit. It is quite. It is quite an. Uh, a fun moment when they're doing the jazz stuff. But at the same time, when the, when it was all happening, all I could see was the jazz flute scene from Anchorman. <laughs> hey, Aqualung! <laughs> That's all I could see was just Anchorman. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there aren't many, you know, sort of jazz calf scenes in movies. I think there's only those two. Or well, so I married an axe murderer, maybe. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, just it's 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 very poncy and niche. It's very New York. Yeah, except Anchorman's LA. No, San Diego. There you go. Well, you know what I mean. West Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. But yeah, it's the whole jazz. All, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, coincidentally, Pete figures out that the suit is causing him to have horrible emotions and goes to the church's bell tower in an attempt to rip the symbiote off of himself accidentally banging onto the tower's bell makes the symbiote fall apart and a small piece falls down the tower onto eddie brock making him venom and causing the discovery that peter is spider-man so it's one hour and 40 minutes into a two and a half hour (laughs) movie and now venom turns up yeah. Again, I'm I'm hitting it home here. He just feels like a plot device and not a villain. Yeah, it was we we've been told he has to be in the movie and by putting him in the movie it will probably uh get people very excited and sell a lot of tickets because he's a very popular character, but we don't really want to write a movie based around him. So we'll add him to what we've already got this because we've been told to. This could have been a lovely end to a trilogy. <laughs> This could have been a yeah. end to a trilogy. I think I think a lot of it really really holds up, but yeah, yeah. the Venom stuff is weird, I, I, man. It, it, this could have been a nine out of ten, but the Venom makes it almost a seven out of ten. I think it's. I think it's. I, yeah, 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 yeah. So, is this how uh, Pete gets rid of the symbiote and Eddie gains it? Is this how it happens? It's very close. Um, the first time Pete, so he basically he gets rid of the suit twice. Mm-hmm. The first time he goes to, to to Reed Richards and Reed works out the suit is is an alien, um, but they can't, Pete Pete can't take it off. 
even using super strength and pulling at it, it won't come off. So Reed Richards, being the smartest man in the universe, theorises that coming from the depths of space, silent space, it probably doesn't like <laughs> heat or sound. Yeah. So Reed Richards uses sonic pulses to, to cause the suit pain and the suit drive the suit off Pete, and, in, and then they, they capture it and lock it up. Later on, um, the, 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 the symbiote escapes and starts rebonding with Pete again, and he's trapped in it again. Um, fighting for his life, Pete goes to a nearby church and intentionally uses the sound of the bells, to the loud sound, to hurt the symbiote. And he, he does it so much, kind of like the symbiote is screaming and, and it's kind of turning to goo. Which it wasn't at the you know it it was thread it was it was a you know a solid thing, and it kind of drips off him like oil. And Pete thinks he's killed it with the loud sounds, and it's dying and dripping off him. And that's the end of that. Ah. Then four years later, when Venom is introduced in the flashback, we see mm. Eddie Brock, uh, depressed, broke, homeless goes to the same church at the same time to kill himself. And he prays to God for forgiveness and asks for a sign of what to do, which is when the symbiote, which is dripped down from the bell tower, envelops him, drawn to his hatred of (laughs) Spider-Man. The Birth of Venom series-like story is so good at that. Weaving him back in, man. It's brilliant. Because what they didn't—they didn't intend any of Venom when they did the Symbiote Saga. This was not a long-term plan. They did the Symbiote Saga. They ended it. They had no—I you know—I'm not saying they were never going to bring the Symbiote back, but it was not like. And then in four years' time, we'll create Venom. <laughs> None of that. It was so good. That is so good. good. I like I like I like that I like sort of recycling old things. Hey, you remember that that weird clothing that you threw out? Let's turn it into a villain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he teams up with the burglar. <laughs> Are you drinking cranberry? That's right, buddy. Oh, okay, right. Fair enough. Uh, so anyway. Fleetwood back- Mac and cranberry. That's what I say. Fleetwood Mac and cranberry. Oh, you're obviously not up with the kids. Get on TikTok, babe. Oh, Come yeah. on, update oh, yourself. Yeah, Get on TikTok. skateboarding down a highway, so it doesn't make sense. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. So, upset about how he's been acting, Peter decides to return the ring to Aunt May, saying that he's not ready to marry Mary Jane. Meanwhile, Venom finds the Sandman, who is on the loose again, and they join forces to kill Spider-Man. They set up a trap... That happens so quickly. I know, I know. There was no convincing, like, it's just like, yeah, you're made of sand, how about we team up? (laughs) There's nothing else to do, and there's 20 minutes left in the film. (laughs) Yeah. I know, I know. They set up a trap for him using Mary Jane in a taxi dangling from a construction site. Peter sees the crisis on television and goes to try to convince Harry to help him save MJ since he loved her once too. Harry, now with horrible scars on his face, refuses and sends Peter away. Harry's butler then reveals the truth to Harry, that he tended to Norman's wounds that night that he died and that he clearly killed himself with his own goblin glider. So it's a nice bit of... um, that was a nice bit of chance conversation that changed him over. That was good. 
I don't know why is it taking the butler this long to to say anything. But I mean, it, w- it wasn't necessary for the plot. <laughs> can we can we talk about this butler? He's a bit odd, isn't he? He's always been odd because he's been in all of them. Yeah, and he's not. He doesn't feel like he's a good actor. Yeah. He doesn't deliver. He doesn't have much to say, but he doesn't deliver his lines very well. <laughs> it's and he has some odd lines as well. Like yeah. in the second one. Yeah. It, your father only obsessed about his work, Master Osborne. And then Lee is so odd. I don't understand. Do you remember that bit in Wayne's World 2 where he goes to ask uh, directions from the gas station attendant and he goes, I'm sorry. He, t- he breaks the fourth wall and goes, I'm sorry. I know it's a small part, but can we get a much better actor for this bit? And then they just bring on Charlton Heston to do it. <laughs> it's like, they could have done that with this butler. They could have brought on like Sir Ian McKellen or someone. Well, no, they don't need that. You just need and everyone, every other minor part in the, all these films is is good. I, I wonder whether they couldn't find a good old man. Do you know what I mean? Because like, oh he's really old. Oh he my, looks like an old butler. Oh, my God. Where the hell are we going to find a, 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 an old white guy in Hollywood? Oh, God, there's none of them left anymore. <laughs> we don't need satire on this show, Will. Know, Come on. I know, I know. I'm sorry. So that also, that news report on the TV was absolutely gushing with exposition, wasn't it? It was explaining everything. It's, it, this is a race to the final scene. Yeah, it's like they we can't go, we can't run over, lads. <laughs> so we've got to move the plot along till we get to the final scene. Quick, quick, quick! Now, and it was like that's you spent t- you spent an hour and a half on on nice emotional storytelling. <laughs> Quickly get to the fight. It's like wait, wait, is this is this TV anchor? Addressing Spider Man directly or the audience. I don't know. Uh, so, anyway, at the construction site, Sandman comes up from the ground as a giant, taunting the spectators and keeping the police away. Alongside Venom, the two beat Spider Man into submission. Just as they're about to kill him, a single pumpkin bomb explodes inside Sandman, and Harry has come to the, to the rescue. So. Uh, the one bit I lost it at was when Spider-Man's running in and he ran past an American flag as everyone's cheering. There's been there's been several of them on on um, in the first movie we have that nine yeah. eleven moment, don't we? Yeah. You're not mess with New Yorkers. Yeah. Um, I forget was there was there was it like there wasn't like a rah rah pro American moment in in the second one was there no but there was the no. whole the whole subway saves him from Doctor Octopus yeah. that was kind of a that was more community yeah but the, the uh, yeah because we we have a different mindset when it comes to kind of patriotism being being Brits we don't really yeah we don't it's all patriotism strikes us as being very weird very weird um, it's something we've grown yeah. out of really to a degree. <laughs> which we grew out of it before 2016. Sorry, no no satire allowed on this show, are we? No. <laughs> no. So, uh, did the writer... It makes me think of that bit that really ran past the American flag. Did the writers in a meeting go, uh, when Spider-Man isn't on the screen, everyone should be going, where's Spider-Man? You know, given how, how, how well-loved he is in this film. It's just like, he's, yeah. he's too yeah. loved in this film. You're right, you're right. You're absolutely right. I, I was I was expecting a big fall because of this. I was expecting that um, if we're going to have this huge, um, the public are all for him, that there will be a big fall publicly and that everyone would turn against him. And that doesn't happen in this film. Yeah, you'd think that. They just, it, ca- it carries on right to the very end. They absolutely love him. 
That's a good point because you th- you'd think a better plot device and anything to do with Venom would be Pride takes the better of him and he does something to anger the public. And then he realizes, ah, my ego's too big, and then I've got to calm down and listen to Mary, to Mary Jane. That would have been a better. That would have been better narrative, I think. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, we got to talk about this. So Sandman has become a huge giant here. Um, I've never seen him. I don't know why he hasn't done it before. Maybe he just didn't have enough sand. Uh, I mean, he's, he, he seems to be the most powerful villain we've seen yet in that form. Is is he powerful? Is he this powerful in the comics? Well, to begin well in the in the sixties, he got beat by a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> to, to begin with, he's just kind of like slippery. He's just like he can he can make he can make himself so like porous and soft that you can't grab him or punch him. Yeah, right. Whilst at the same time making his hands rock hard so he can punch your lights out. Yeah, um, and that was a unique combination. There, there are famous early early in the first issue or yeah the early kind of shots of. Like Spider-Man literally put his and his ha- arms are trapped in sand, whilst the Sandman is just like huh, punching him with giant rock hands, um, and then he began to be able to kind of shape shift with sand as time went on. He could turn his body parts into, you know, hammers or weapons, or he can add sand to his form and grow into a, a, a giant size. Mm. He's insanely hard to trap or confine. Um, he's the ultimate breaking artist. He can break into anywhere in the world as long as it's not airtight. Mm. Um, he can turn himself into a sandstorm and, and, and travel at great, great distances, at great speed. Uh, there's only one tiny particle of sand that contains the entire consciousness of Flint Marco. Mm. And as long as that is free, he can use it to rebuild himself um, amongst any other particles of sand. So, do you know what I mean? You, yeah. you can't like take his head, put all the the sand in his head, and that will stop him. You don't know which tiny particle of sand is the kind of the magic one with all the flinting. <laughs> oh God, that that's complicated to think about. Yeah, that's that, that's 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 just elaborate. So, back to the fight. Spider Man and Harry win the fight at the cost of Harry's life, saving Peter's at the same time. Peter then remembers that the symbiote is sensitive to sound and uses pipes to pull Eddie out of it, destroying it with a pumpkin bomb just as Eddie jumps back in, seemingly killing him. There was also a bit uh, during the fight when Harry arrives and he's, he's throwing the pumpkin bombs. Two kids, and I mean this without, without irony, this must <laughs> say, awesome and wicked cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, nobody says that non-ironically <laughs> Th- that is very much the toy advert bit isn't it that feels it's like a toy the, advert yeah hey kids wouldn't you wouldn't you want to own a, a harry osborne toy and maybe you'd like to see harry osborne spin off into his own movie yeah wicked awesome killer radical coward but i'm gonna go through all the words uh, extreme <laughs> extreme with, with no e at the beginning just a big x Extreme snowboarding with Harry Osborne. <laughs> Harry Osborne sounds like such a boring name. Doesn't sound like an extreme snowboarder. Um, also, uh, seemingly killing himself. I noticed Eddie um, turn into an skeleton when the explosion happened. You get to see the, the split second of it, just an expl- a skeleton yeah. appearing. I was like, "Oh, that's pretty." You know, that's a bit much. 
I, I, had to, I, had to, I had to re, I had to watch right through to the end to see if there was a post-credit sequence. But I remember reading somewhere that they were going to have, um, like a like a little bit where they were going to show Eddie in, you know, Venom Eddie in a chest tube or a glass jar or something, going "Help, get me out" or something right at the end. But they thought they decided not to. I distinctly remember at the time when the movie came out, there were there were tons of talk about how this would spin off into a a Venom movie. Yeah. But it wouldn't be connected to Spider Man. Yeah, it would yeah. be like I don't know, a different world or something. Yeah, that would make sense. So how does Venom first meet Spider Man in the comic books? It's so creepy and scary. <laughs> he stalks him. Oh no. The first appearance isn't really the first appearance. Pete is waiting for the subway one day. Mm. When somebody that he doesn't see sneaks up on him without triggering his spider sense and shoves him in front of a train. Off the platform in front of a train. And this really jars Pete because if they're not triggering his spider sense, it could be anyone. He doesn't see who it is. It's a crowd of people. Any one of them... Whoever it is can sneak up on him and he'll never know it. And then Mary Jane comes home one night and thinks it's her husband standing in the shadows with his black costume. But it's Eddie Brock. Uh. Because of the symbiote, he knows Peter's secret identity. He knows about his wife. He knows where he lives. So he comes to his house and he terrorises MJ in her own home, smashes her face up. And he calls Ooh. Pete to make to make Pete hear his wife scream on the phone. Ooh, that's horrible. And Pete, you know, races home to try and save MJ and sees Venom for the first time. And he, like, reveals who he is and tells him, you know, his back, why he hates him and how much he hates him. And taunts Pete and says, I know everything about you. I could tell the whole world. I could tell the papers. I could I could go after your Aunt May because I know all about her. I could come back here tomorrow night and come after your wife. I'm going to make you suffer and suffer and then I'm going to kill you. Oof. And that's the first meeting. <laughs> it's horrific. That's horrible. That is just emotionally damaging. It is, and it is really laying out on the table. Here is a villain that has every Trump card. He knows all your secrets... He negates one of he has all your powers, he negates your awareness and spider sense, and he's bigger and stronger and more powerful than you. It's 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 how you make a terrifyingly threatening villain right there. So that's how that's really just how you you, you got got everything covered, but but all I see Venom when I see him is just, he just looks cool and scary. It's just like, oh, he's actually you know, quite threatening right down to the core rather than just the external appearance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Horrible. Yeah. He's a he's a he's a really he was a really, really great villain when he was just a villain. Mm. Yeah. So back so we're into the final scene of the film now. Marco reveals that he never intended to kill Ben. He only wanted his car and accidentally shot him shot him when Dennis grabbed his arm. Ben is Ben's death was haunt, has haunted him ever since. Peter tells Marco that he forgives him. Flint, Flint then dissolves into sand and floats away. 
Peter and Harry forgive each other before Harry dies, with Mary Jane and Peter at his side. Peter later visits the jazz club where Mary Jane is singing, and they begin mending their relationship. So Mark, Marco's final scene, you know, we, we needed something. We needed something, but it did feel a bit crowbarred in, like, oh, didn't you just get blown up by a bomb earlier? And then he just appears human form and goes, by the way, I'm really sorry. Yeah, because because we've had this this huge distraction going on. Yeah, like if this film had been had been uh, just about Flint Marco and Harry Osborn and, and Pete and Mary Jane, I think there would have been a lot more time to get at the story. You know, non CGI Sandman is barely in this movie. <laughs> um, I think we would have had a lot more uh, about him worrying about his daughter and. You know the, the same kind of wonderful characterization we've got of Doctor Octopus and Spider Man yeah. Two. I think we would have had that in this movie. You know, Spider Man Two juggles Harry Osborn's conflict with with Spider Man and Pete and Doctor Octopus beautifully. I think this would have this would have done the same. But we, you know, we then have so much more that has to be crowbarred in. <laughs> Indeed. So that was Spider-Man 3, the first part of our intensive deep dive into Venom and the symbiote. Will, I'd love to hear your final thoughts on this movie. We've, we've chatted quite a bit about it as we've gone along, really, but your your, your takeaway from, from this film. My takeaway, um, I've been pretty much uh, sprinkling on the ground all the way through. This could have been a much better film. They took Venom out. Um, I, it's a much better on the second second watch. I'll say that. I remember watching it for the first time, yeah. and I didn't like what they did with Peter Parker. But now watching it again, it's like no, this is this is exactly what you should be doing with Peter Parker. This is good. This is good. I just thought he turned yeah. he turned to a bit of a knob, but it was fine in this in the second time. Um, yeah, I think everything about it. Apart from obviously the the rush to the ending and the crowbarring of, of of Venom was just done, I think as best as it could be. Yeah, I, yeah. For for the, for those considerations, I think we both would have liked more Sandman. Yeah, and probably both would have liked. I would have liked more Aunt May. Um, yes, so you didn't, especially because it's so much about Uncle Ben and all of that. That would have been interesting and nice. And she's in, in she's in two so much, mm. isn't she? She's in one and two so much. I think we would have benefited from a bit more Aunt May. Yeah, yeah. Um, what then <laughs> from this movie has been your favourite slice of trivia? Uh, apart from the burglar. Uh... <laughs> Just, <laughs> just tickling. Me. I think my favourite slice of trivia is Peter finding out about the symbiote suit, or and then and then not at his 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 main motivation for getting off is uh disgusting. It's gross. It's gross. Get this gross thing off. Yeah, me. I like that. I like that. I, that's a natural not, reaction. Not Sandman versus the Hoover. Oh, that comes. I don't know, Sandman, Sandman versus the Hoover. It just it just sounds like something from a cartoon. It doesn't. It's not as ridiculous if that makes sense. It just it's a bit, a bit of a cut and paste job from a cartoon. It's, it's not like, as ridiculous. It, it's like oh come on, sand goes in a Hoover. Okay, okay. Well, that wraps up the first chapter. Of course, the I think I don't know if this is to be one point one point five or the second chapter will be over on Patreon 
facebook.com slash Marvel versus Marvel as we take a deep dive into the beginning of the symbiote, the place it all came from, Marvel's first crossover event, Secret Wars. That will be our next bonus, full-length bonus episode. And then in the next main show episode, we will be carrying on the journey as we take a look at the 2018 Tom Hardy <laughs> Venom movie. Um, the reading list this week is sponsored by Rob's eBay store. Um, <laughs> make sure you head to ebay.co.uk slash USR slash Rob Halden, H-A-L-D-E-N, um, because the things I'm about to recommend I currently have for sale. Um, <laughs> Secret Wars is really a must-read. Um, we're going to take a deep dive through the, the whole thing on the bonus, but it's it's a wild story packed with huge moments like Galactus fighting Ultron and the Silver Surfer and and Doctor Strange and Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom. It's incredible. There's so much action and fun stuff. And that's where you get to see the origin of the costume um, the important appearance of Spider-Woman, who is the influence on it. It's a big year-long story. There's tons packed into it. I've got uh, two brand new hardcover copies of Secret Wars 1. And and because and, and it's split into two parts, being that it's 12 issues long. So I've got both uh, hardcover graphic novels brand new are covering the entire Secret Wars. The other thing I'd really recommend... That's available from my store. <laughs> is uh, this, this this feels grubby? I'll be honest with you, Will. This feels grubby. I'm not sure I'm comfortable doing this. Do what you need to do. Um, there, there is a a Birth of Venom collection. This collects the entire Alien costume saga, as Pete returns to Earth and experiences the weirdness of the new costume, as well as the brilliant development of his relationship with MJ that we talked about. It also, this collection collects the first appearances of Venom as he appears as Venom, Eddie Brock for the first time, terrorises Spider-Man, breaks into his house, all of that. All of that is together in one collection. It's called The Birth of Venom. I have a brand new hardcover copy of that graphic novel also available in my eBay store right now at a great, great price. It probably only makes financial sense and I don't think I'm, I'd, I'd be honest with you. I'd, I'm probably not going to bother shipping outside the UK. <laughs> so if you're UK, then it makes sense to come and check these out. eBay.co.uk slash USR slash Rob Halden H A L D E N, and you'll see a picture of the the podcast on the user profile. Make sure you're in the right place. Um, those are the ones that I recommend to uh, really fully encapsulate everything we're talking about on the on this three episode symbiote saga um available right now will we've got so much more to dive into with this little three episode journey very excited about that which one are you most excited about is it are you because you love the ones you've not seen i think it's going to be venom i'm, I'm looking forward yeah. to venom because i i am it's one of those films that's like i want to see that but i don't want to go to the cinema <laughs> It's like I don't want to make right. that commitment to it. You come across like a recluse sometimes with some of these. Oh, I am, believe me. <laughs> You're like, I, I have a desire to, but not that much of a desire to yeah. leave the house. 
I, I don't um, like going to the cinema that much. I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm bad. So uh, check out the 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 uh, the Patreon episode for a deeper dive into Secret Wars, and then watch the 2018 Venom movie along with Will. Uh, and then we'll be right back here for the next episode, giving you the, the the final part of our definitive dive into Venom. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Don't forget to click like, rate us, give us five stars, give us a review, and hey, why not recommend us to a friend who loves Marvel movies and comic books? Join us next time for Venom. <laughs>